Welcome everyone. Uh, sorry, it's a little bit experimental here. Uh, I tried a new, new uh, sort of like a spinoff of my podcast here on the second channel as more of a little bit of a casual, uh, not not quite as you know tightly regimented or planned version of the podcast. So I'm here with my good friend Shelly Shaska. How are you doing, Shelly? I'm doing excellently. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you, my friend. Absolutely. So uh, here we are. We're going to be ranking the James Bond films. So let me pop out that chat so I can kind of see the comment comments and whatnot. So, yeah. So yesterday, you and I we had a call and we started chatting. And in our typical fashion, when we decide to have one conversation, it breaks off into three or four or five or six several different tangents. And one of those tangents happened to be James Bond movies. Yeah. Exactly. So. And so we just sort of started talking about some James Bond movies and thought like, hey, why don't we just do a show where we rank the Bond movies? Yeah, it's a little... And, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, that's, that's, that's all. Yeah, I know. It's a little off-brand. You know, we, we normally com uh, comment on video games and whatnot, but I thought it would be a little bit, a little uh, fun to kind of mix up a bit. I'm actually streaming to, <laughs> as a film and... Uh, Rather than a gaming uh, video as a film and animation video. So anyway, we'll see how this works. Um, so yeah. as you can see, we've got some uh, some fun tiers here. Uh, basically, we've got some up here. We've got golden, which is uh, going to be. OK, that's great. I have the spell checker on there. That's awesome. We have golden, <laughs> which is like a S tier. Uh, we have shaken nuts. Golden stirred. standard. Yeah, golden standard like golden gun. You know, can't get be can't get any better. Chicken not stirred. This is like A plus, really, really hot stuff. Um, and then we've got right on the money penny, which uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, really, you know, a, de a de overall decent film, but could be better. Uh, on His Majesty's Secret Serviceable, which is like you know, mediocre, not not great, not not terrible. Uh, Doctor Nope, you know, generally not not one of the best, not one of the shining moments of Mister Bond. And then double o nothing, which is just you know absolute trash tier. So, um, and uh, from our brief uh, conversation yesterday, we definitely had some disagreements on what was great and what what was bad. Like some of my absolute least favorites were some of uh, Shalashaska's uh, <laughs> more appreciated ones. So, I am an apologist for what I like, and I make no qualms about it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So. so cool so are we gonna do in chronological order um yeah i like think order I think of release i think that's probably the simplest way um we have a little refresher um i just finally watched uh not uh not the latest but the the one bond film i had not seen which was living daylight so it was the one i missed um but i finally watched that recently i recently watched uh goldeneye some of these to be frank i've not seen for quite a while but uh, we have a little refresher guide to kind of refresh our memory on the major events here. Yeah. So starting in 1962, yeah, we've got Dr. No. Just before, uh, we're both Bond fans, and as many times as we might have seen the movies, there are details we don't remember. So yeah. we're just, keep in mind, we're just going off our memory as best as we can with some like guides to help jog it. But it's not like we've watched the movies and we're sitting here to talk, you know, deeply analytic. Uh, analytically about the films in any capacity some of these films i haven't seen in years yeah exactly so you know the, these are some of these are a little bit rusty but um 
you know, the, as strong as the James Bond imagery is, we'll definitely like recall. Oh yeah, I remember that moment, or I remember that guy, or whatever. And some of these sure. movies, I um, I've not seen since VHS, but I remember distinctly very clear scenes. So, you know, it yeah. it'd be good to review them all at some point. But you know, frankly, ain't got anybody, nobody got time for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least not in our neck of the woods. But anyway, as you were saying, Doctor No. So Dr. No, 1962. That's crazy. Yeah, I just realized uh, it celebrated its 50th anniversary not too long ago. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, like nine years ago? Jeez. Um, yeah. Um, so here we go. I remember Dr. No was a slow movie, from what I remember. Now, it's been a few years, but definitely one of the more slower, more metho- meth- methodical, I guess, Bond films, which is like what you expect because it's the first one. Yeah, I think they're trying to find their footing. Um, and obviously, I think Sean Connery was a fantastic choice for Bond. He he, and I remember distinctly Doctor No. I, I believe it was Doctor No, where like he was entering a casino or something like that, and there was like smoky rooms and you know moody lighting, and just him walking up to the bar and saying Bond, James Bond. It's just like that kind of crackly 1960s audio. It was just like so iconic. So you got to yeah. give it props for just kind of setting the tone of the entire series. But uh, story-wise, not the best. I, I would actually say a pretty mediocre story no. as, as far as yeah, the story is concerned. very mediocre. But talking about that casino scene, it also has that uh, iconic clip of Sean Connery where he's sitting at the table and he has like a cigarette dangling yeah. from his mouth. <laughs> and he just kind of likes the scene you're talking about. And it's just that image, that is the image of James Bond when you break it down, really. Yeah, he just got that that so, uh, that that cigarette, just like, bare, like casual, like he he could fall out and he doesn't care. He just like got that ca- uh, cigarette out there and he's just like, and it's like yeah, the smoky rooms and everything. That's just such an iconic yeah. uh, visual of this sort of you know, uh, slick, you know, charming, but uh, had like a layer of dangerousness under him, the international secret agent. See, so, yeah, I think that uh, for just for, just for the fact that it kind of set the stage. It, it has to get somewhere, but like, as far as the plot, I know that there was that um, whole uh, radiation aspect of it where like the, they're getting deradiated and stuff. That was kind of interesting, especially mm-hmm. in the 60s. You know, it was definitely at the height of the Cold, Cold War. You know, oh my God, we're going to yeah. get bombed by the Russians kind of fear. So definitely kind of played off of that. A- every Bond film is, a, is definitely a product of its time. You know, it all has something to yeah. say about the yeah. time. But um, I would probably, like, just because it, it I would probably argue, where is it here? Dr. No. Oof, hopefully it's here. It was here earlier. Yeah, there it is. I would argue right on the money penny. Like, not bad, not, 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 you know, great, but because it kind of set the stage, it gets, like, bumped up one for me. What do you think? Um, I can see why you think that. I just think that it, even with the fact that it's a first outing, it's still among one of the weaker movies. I would put it at like more serviceable personally. So just uh, because you're down. Yeah, I would put it the one tier down only because I know it's trying to find its footing. I know it's the first movie. I know it's kind of setting the stage and I know, you know, it, it's just, it, it, it's just eclipsed by all the other movies, even by the next movie with from, yeah. from Russia with love. It just takes it up a tier right away and then it just kind of leaves dr no in the dust a little bit for me yeah. and i'll be honest like dr no i like him as a villain but he's not one of the more memorable villains either 
when you compare them to later Bond <laughs> villains. Like it's just he's always an. Yeah, it wasn't a strong villain. Um, uh, all I really remember is like the introduction to James Bond. I mean, it also introduced introduced John Barry's theme song, which is still used today. It's such an yes. iconic piece of music. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I I probably am a lot more sentimental to it than I should be objectively as a film. Not that great, but like it introduced such a legacy that I kind of have to. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit more partial to it. But um, yeah, as far as the ki- he only kills four people in that. Is a, a yeah, four. I know it's such a small body count, which is <laughs> he's almost one to one on earlier. That's sorry, it's that sort of methodical movie. It's more methodical. It's more of that thinking piece. The drama is the conspiracy, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's and the, there's nothing wrong with that, but like it's definitely it definitely became more action oriented as it went later on. I'm looking at chat, and it looks like that I'm the unpopular now, according to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are now the unpopular. Um, I am yeah, now the unpopular. But I got to say, a, a four to three kill the shag ratio is pretty good. So at least at least he got his his uh, bond on. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no no car, no gadgets. Wow, that's uh, like they introduced so much, but yet the the kind of iconic like every new new film has a different sort of Aston Martin or whatever. Like they hadn't quite introduced that yet, so interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, de- definitely set a lot up, but honestly, like, wasn't the best plot or movie and everything like that. But definitely some iconic imagery. Imagery. Yeah, definitely, definitely. If we want to put it up to Money Penny, I'm okay with that. But that's just kind of why I'm why I'm arguing for Secret Serviceable. Yeah, I mean, as a movie, I definitely agree with you that it, that it's that. Uh, the only reason I would argue higher just because it was the first. It like set so many things that kind of stayed. It introduced Sean Connery, to, you know, rest in peace, Sean Connery. Uh, it introduced, uh, you know, the theme song and the style and everything, and just that iconic uh, casino, you know, scene where he's just like going down there is like Bond, James Bond. And I just, I can't get over how I love much. I love that sort of uh, um, old microphone from like the '60s, like very crackly, very compressed sound. It just had such a, such yeah. a uh, uh, interesting timber to it, and I, I just it's it very iconic at the time, and you really can't replicate that now. Yeah, so. it's definitely iconic for what it was or for what it is, you know. But it's it's a first step. It gets better. <laughs> Let me put it that way. It just it gets better. Yeah, it gets better. Then it gets worse. Then it gets really worse. Then it gets better. <laughs> and here's a fun fact to think about with Doctor No. Like, just in the case of what we're talking about. The production designer only had twenty thousand pounds to build the set. When That's you compare that to the budget for the sixties, yeah, even for the sixties, which were you know, and we're talking about twenty thousand pounds in the sixties, it's not a small amount of money. But when you compare it to the budgets of the other movies, obviously that's minuscule comparatively. Yeah, I'm. Oh God, was Spartacus around that time? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. For for example, Spartacus was nineteen sixty, so two years before. Yeah. That costed twelve million. So, yeah. relatively speaking, I mean, Spartacus was an epic. You got a lot of, you know, props. You got a lot of uh, extras, things like that. But comparatively, that's a that's a minuscule budget compared to something like Spartacus. So, yeah, but that was also a Kubrick film, though. So, like, when you have Kubrick at the helm saying, "Listen, I want to make this project," it's a little easier to get funding for something that massive. Yeah. Exactly. So next up is 1963's From Russia with Love. So they followed up the next year. That's pretty cool. Um, this I think is definitely where the the lot of the like the second half of the kind of uh, traditional Bond uh, 
you know, staples and trademarks were introduced. We, we first see Blofeld. We, uh, we get um, a, a green Bentley, I guess, is their car. Get some gadgets, exploding briefcase, sniper rifle, tear gas. You know, a lot, a lot of really, like, it kind of fills in the, the other half of the traditional stuff. There's always new gadgets every time. There's always a new car, you know. It, it, so so the second movie, um, From Usher With Love, definitely kind of fulfills the, completes the Bond experience in a lot of ways. And I remember enjoying yes. it. I think it was a pretty solid film. Yeah, it, it sets the bar higher because now you have a more action-oriented plot. And it is a direct sequel because now you have Spectre trying to get their revenge for the death of Dr. No. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I think the bathtub scene where he says shocking that you only live twice. No, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe, maybe that death is anyway, but yeah, it sets the bar much higher. And then now you also have that helicopter chase, boat chase rather than just a car chase. You have the fight on the train. And I think this also sort of um, establishes Bond as like the kind of womanizer. If I'm not mistaken, this is the movie where he tells the Bond girl, uh, leave now while the men are talking and then like just smacks her on the ass. Yeah. The scene I'm talking about is this this movie or is this another one? I mean, uh, Sean Connery was such a Chad, but you know, they're definitely products of their time. (laughs) That wouldn't fly today, but I mean, I I I I'll, I'll put it this way: wouldn't fly today, but many women in the in the sixties would probably not object for being, you know, <laughs> approached by Mister Connery in his prime. Uh, <laughs> uh, just following that up, uh, positively shocking was Goldfinger. That that yeah, okay, it was Gold. Goldfinger. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was Goldfinger. So yeah, uh, I knew it wasn't this one, but yeah. So this one is a solid <laughs> one. I don't remember a ton of things about it. I remember distinctly, uh, yeah, there was this sort of like Russian girl that he ends up with. Uh, the ratio, the uh, the stats are a she lot better a in this one. Agent. Yeah, she was a KGB agent, I think. Yeah, I think she movie. was KGB, and I think she flips or something like that. Um, yeah, so well, so, she was she, she was working with Bond because of the conspiracy that Spectre was doing to pit the uh, the UK and the Soviet Union at each other because they stole the cipher. Yeah, and so it's both governments working together uh, to try and you know defuse the plot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so that, you know, nineteen sixties Cold War was all on our minds. Russia was always the the big bad. So yeah, a lot of these early movies were definitely about Russia and. As we'll get into later, move, interestingly enough, after the fall of the Soviet Union, you get to see a little bit of that in like Goldeneye, which I actually find is not not to spoil that that part, but I actually find that interesting because it's like a a post Soviet you know Russia kind of thing. Yeah. So that that's yeah, a good plot setup. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so Russia with love uh, stats are a little bit better. Um, yeah, we get introduced to new gadgets and stuff like that, and he kills twice as many people in Russia with love than in the first film. So he's got yeah. eight, eight kills, four shags. So his stats are definitely going up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I would say that's at least a right on the money penny. Um, what do you think? Shake and not stir or right on the money penny? I, I don't remember enough at about least. it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'd say at least it's right on the money penny. I think it's definitely a tier up from Dr. No. Yeah. Um, and I still think that as much as they're, trying to establish that bond formula they do a better job with from russia with love to the point where it was made into a video game for some reason yeah 
I don't know if I'd put it up as shaken, not stirred, because it's still kind of held back a little bit by that those early movies where it hasn't reached that critical acclaim yet. It's a good movie. It's a memorable movie, and it's one I enjoy rewatching, but it's definitely one that still has that room for improvement uh, to really solidify what it means to be Bond. Yeah, I remember after finishing it, I was like, this is a this was fine, but I like I wasn't yeah. like, man, that was a good That's one. It. Yeah, like, yeah, that was fine. It was yeah, fine. Yeah, like uh, um, back in the nineties, uh, my mom and I would actually like every week go to the the movie store and pick out another Bond film, and we ended up watching almost every single one back to back. At the time, obviously, some came out since then. So we did a lot of the, the <laughs> older older ones, and um, yeah, no, uh, some of the older ones I was actually surprisingly uh, digging, and some of them were just truly, truly awful. Um, but I remember, I remember being like, oh, that was good. But like, I, I, I didn't, nothing was super standout in Russia with love. So I'd say it's like, it's good, but not great. Right. I agree. So, All right. So Doctor, gold, uh, Goldfinger, gold James Bond finger. is back in action, <laughs> mixing thrills and girls. This is the <laughs> poster for Goldfinger. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I could easily screen share this. I guess I could, but, uh, yeah, yeah, what's to say? What's to say about Goldfinger that hasn't already been said? Like yeah. this is this is the quintessential <laughs> Bond movie. Like yeah. this this is it. When I think James Bond, the first movie I think of has to be Goldfinger. Yeah, without I, a doubt. Imagine if you wrote a tagline like this today. <laughs> <laughs> Mixing girls and girls. <laughs> uh, you'd be off Twitter in three seconds. Um, so yeah, th- this is definitely what I think. This is when the Bond series got really comfortable. It, it, it like they they kind of tried a little bit more uh, flair, a little bit more. Um, oh, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do control tab. Yes. Well, oh no, I broke something. What I do? Okay, hang on. There we go. We're back. Um, so yeah, no, I think this is when the, the, uh, series got a lot more comfortable with, with, uh, it's sort of formula. And this is like, a, you know, they did this like every year. Damn. That's like quite a lot to knock out one of these things every year. I guess they did also have books to kind of just base the screenplays off of. So it probably yeah, helped for the most part. Um, but yeah, I know we got the Aston Martins. We've got, uh, oh God. Keyword galore. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if that's a YouTube friendly word, but oh, odd I'm job, not. odd job. This is like a classic movie. It's got odd job. It's got uh, cat galore. Yeah. Um, it's got yeah. <laughs> obviously <laughs> you turn a he turns people into gold. <laughs> Come on, isn't that isn't that pretty? Are we gonna that, call, okay, when we get hang on, hang on. When we get to talking about the movie, are we gonna call it Octo Cat now? Like, <laughs> come on, Octo Kitty, like, Octo Kitty. There we go, Octo Kitty. <laughs> It's probably fine. I, I, I just, yeah, I, I never know what, no, 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 I get it, I get what it. YouTube's going to yeah, flag. Um, so. You have, yeah, you have in one of the most iconic, one of those iconic scenes, you know, where she says, you know, I'm Kitty Galore. Must be dreaming. <laughs> because, of course, it's a double entendre in the 60s. Like, how shocking would it have been to, like, see that at that time period? Um, yeah, I remember reading a is, quote. Go, yeah. go ahead. Mm-mm. Go. What's your quote? Yes, so uh, Kitty Galore says, my name is Kitty Galore Bond. I must be dreaming. You're a woman of many parts, Kitty. 
<laughs> so very much yeah they knew what they were doing so it was very oh, yeah very you know it was getting a little bit more raunchy for the 60s that was super raunchy come on yeah so extremely extremely but also the plot it was it was unique because it was still like an espionage movie but it wasn't your typical like cold war-esque you know soviet it didn't have it didn't even have specter in it from what i remember it was just goldfinger wanted to irradiate uh, ra- the gold reserve at Fort Knox, putting it out of use, and then he'll just flood the market with his own gold. Wow, this is like an Elon Musk-esque plot, isn't it? Yeah, this is a little bit more um, kind of like how uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises are kind of a continuation of the, of the same story, yet The Dark Knight, um, all, albeit arguably the, better, the best of the trilogy, is almost like a big really really good side quest <laughs> yeah. i'd actually i'd actually argue goldfingers kind of fits in that category where you know yeah. it's it's not part of the overall specter you know uh plot with a uh, blowfield but it is a really entertaining movie and a lot of memorable moments and yeah, just like iconic stuff like you know some of also, the de- yeah go ahead oh sorry also the first movie with a new theme song the goldfinger song right Oh, was it? Is that is that true? That that's because a pretty big. The thing. previous two movies, yeah, the previous two movies just use that Bond theme, right? That opens up every movie. This is the one that had that gold, that iconic Goldfinger song. Oh, I think you're right. Um, yeah, James Bond theme by Goldberry, Goldfinger sung by Shirley Bassey. So yeah, this is this is kind of like the trifecta where they added the final piece to the puzzle, where every new James Bond movie gets its own theme song. Uh, often sung by a very popular artist at the time. So, yeah, uh, Goldfinger. I don't remember the rest of it. I just remember mm-hmm. the opening part. But, uh, yeah, that, that's that's actually great. So it's like you got the first mo- movie establishes the James Bond theme. You know, it establishes the character, the actor, the tone, uh, all that kind of stuff. The second movie introduces the, the cars and the gadgets and, and more killing, more women, etc. third movie mm-hmm. introduces the theme song. And so that, for that reason, it's kind of iconic. I would probably put it up into shaken, not stirred. I don't know if it's gold, golden territory. Oh, oh, it's golden territory, baby. <laughs> it's golden territory. Okay, so uh, what does the chat me, think? It's golden. For me, it's golden. For me, it is the ultimate Bond movie. You have the introductions of the first singable theme songs. You have an airtight plot where might not be specter related might not be related to the soviet union but is it's compact it's so it's clever it's well written you have the inclusion of one of the most iconic henchmen without a doubt you have uh one of the most iconic bond girls and then you have a car the aston martin with a whole slew of the of the weapons and gadgets like you have the oil slick the wheel blades you have that bulletproof screen when he pulls it up remember and that yeah that shocking positively shocking (laughs) positively shocking Uh, (laughs) positively shocking and not to mention the fucking scene where he's on the table and he's you know you expect me to talk no mr bond i expect you to die it's you know doesn't get better than that. That is Bond for me. Yeah, that is a is pretty iconic thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a scene where like he they have the the he's on the table and they try to cut him in half with a yeah. laser, right? Yeah, that's an iconic. Yeah, that that's like the iconic, over the top, way too complicated way to kill Bond. That's like another part of the of the trademark. It's like they don't just shoot the guy; they put him into some incredibly complicated 
uh, <laughs> convoluted uh, <laughs> machine of death rather than just shooting him. But that's like totally Bond. I mean, as far as like yeah. raw, raw stats, you know, a little bit down from a little bit down from Rush with Love, six kills, two shags. But you're right; it does have a lot of iconic moments. And I actually thought that the that the 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 actual plot, like them basically uh, contaminating Fort Knox with radiation and then going in and stealing yeah. all the gold. That's actually was a pretty clever idea that actually like, you know, that probably work. <laughs> so, uh, I remember thinking it was pretty clever. It wasn't, it wasn't like, we're, go- we're going to send a, a satellite into space and laser people from the moon. You know, it was more, it was more just like, uh, it was, yeah, exactly. It was more like, Hey, I, I'm Goldfinger, and I want to. I want to get lots of gold. You know. Hey, it's me, Goldfinger. I'm gonna get a whole bunch of gold. Just gonna build stockpiles of it. Yeah, it's me, Goldfinger. You remember James Bond? James Bond. And then I remember that one scene. I remember that one scene so I- iconically when he has that group of everybody sitting in the room and it's like we're gonna raid fort knox what goldfinger you're insane what's the difference between fort knox and a bank it's a bank yes it is much more well guarded yes there is more it's harder to get in but gentlemen it is a bank nonetheless and then the guys they all like yeah well you're insane we're never gonna go through with this plot and he ends up just killing them it's like okay fine you're not gonna help me you all die (laughs) and he murders them all (laughs) yeah it was definitely a fun villain and uh, i remember just the kind of um you know it kind of established like early on when he sees i think he goes back in the room and and the girl's like completely covered head to toe with gold or whatever it's like a very it shows that he's dealing with somebody who's not only dangerous but also has a sense of style like he wants to make an impression so that was a yeah that's actually a really good summary of the of the movie it's like this movie made an impression on you it was you definitely remember goldfinger if you've seen it so you've kind of sold me i think i think it's probably You know, pardon the pun, probably golden tier. So, where is it? It's here? the Persona 4 golden of Bond movies. This <laughs> is golden tier. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think there's at least one other. There's at least one other Bond, two other Bond films with gold in the name. Yeah, that's right. At least two yeah. other ones. Several. Okay, so what? Goldfinger, Man with the Golden Gun, Golden Eye. I think that's yeah, it. Yeah, those are the. Yeah, I think that might be it. Nice. So we got our first golden tier, Goldfinger, fitting. So uh, Thunderball, next year. Wow, they did like all these back-to-back. Crazy. All right. So Thunderball, part one of the trilogy. And I say that because they remade this movie not once, but twice. Yeah, we're we're covering only the official Eon Productions, you know, the the, okay. the broccoli films. Yeah. So we're not covering any of the unofficial spinoffs that that would get complicated so yeah we're just covering the mainline series for now and since we're only talking about the eon films i'm going to correct that and say they've remade this film once in the eon <laughs> yeah this one was a weird one. Eon one yeah i don't remember it being all that great but it's just weird that they would remake it officially and unofficially so okay maybe so i will great. say the the best part about thunderball is while the end yeah uh, crossington you're absolutely right the filming the technology they use to get those underwater scenes wonderful absolutely wonderful and i will say that i love the villain i think emiliano emilio largo is a great villain he was and i think domino too domino is a good bond girl but overall it's not that it's not the best movie <laughs> it's it's okay 
Yeah, I think this this began a trend. This became a trend that um, would later be definitely picked up in the the Roger Moore films of like the exotic location Bond film. So here we got that kind of water themed, you know, underwater stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, filming that, especially with 1960s technology, must have been quite a breakthrough. But um, it wasn't wasn't really a standout to me. Um, I don't remember the theme song. Uh, it was Thunderball by Tom Jones. Tom Jones did the theme song. I don't. I don't remember it. I, I remember a lot of the theme uh-huh. songs, but that one didn't didn't really stick with me. So I'm like, it's probably a good song, but I didn't remember it. But uh, uh-huh. yeah, I, I remember some of the underwater scenes being pretty cool. And you know, as anyone knows, it's really really difficult to film underwater. Camera equipment is super super sensitive. They didn't have um, cameras that could go underwater like they do today. Um, they probably had to put them in bulky cases and things like that to keep it mm-hmm. from leaking into the camera equipment and you know you have to go down for brief shots before you have to either refill oxygen or or you know if you have somebody underwater without without oxygen you you have to like do a take <laughs> gas for air get ready again and do another take so like makes all, all, all obviously doing any action or any any filming really difficult so props to him for that but yeah overall i, I don't think it was it was a super standout film what are your what's your thoughts Shalashoska? speaking well, hang on, before we go on to this, speaking about gasping for air um Fun note is Tom Jones when he was recording the theme song for Thunderball, he actually fainted in the in the recording booth oh, while man. singing that final <laughs> note. Um, <clears throat> and here's another fun fact: since I, I brought this up about the theme song, Johnny Cash submitted a song to Eon called Thunderball, and it was really... never used. Yeah, see that one I'd like to hear. Actually, I like a lot of Cash's stuff. Um, I yeah, I love Cash. I could never imagine him doing a Bond theme. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been very weird. Um, yeah. But now, uh, one yeah. of my thoughts, like, it's like you said, I, I think that you're spot on with the technology used to film some of the scenes and the elaborate and how elaborate it was. Absolutely spot on for that. As a production, wonderful. Um, but as a movie, it was just, it was kind of underwhelming, really. Like, like I said, I like Largo, I like Domino, but. You know, it's, he's going after, and I love this because the website I'm using for the uh, plot summary. Uh, Bond is sent on a quest to find two NATO atomic bongs <laughs> stolen by Spectre. Not bombs, bongs. Bongs, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to ransom the world 100 million diamonds. We're going to use gold. It's like, eh, you're ransoming the UN. It's like, really? that That's your ultimate goal is... You have Spectre, and they're just gonna. Uh, it's meh. It's meh. Yeah, I remember a couple of the gadgets and stuff being kind of neat. Like I remember the uh, cool underwater propellers that they'd ride to go faster underwater. That was a kind of neat uh, little gimmick. Um, and apparently, it was the the yeah. most deadly uh, Bond up to that point with nine kills. Um, mm-hmm. but that would be quickly outpaced with the next one. So overall, I would probably say. I'd probably say green tier, like mid- middle ground, right? Not, yeah, not bad, not, not great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd put it there too. Fun fact, up until the release of uh, Live and Let Die, it was the highest grossing Bond film in the series. So up until the first Roger Moore film. Yeah, um, that happens a lot with sequels where uh, the inferior sequels get more money than uh, the movies that came before it. Um, just uh, because of uh, name, yeah, rec- name recognition and stuff like that, like 
Famously, uh, The Matrix made about 400, I want to say four or four or 50 million uh, in the box office. Uh, Matrix, Revo- uh, Matrix Reloaded made double that, and Revolutions yeah. made a, a little over what the original made. But um, looking yeah. back at it, everybody loves the original the best for the, for the most part. Yeah, and I and I definitely think the strength of Goldfinger heightened the sales for Thunderball. Like, yeah. I think that's absolutely what happened. Yeah, that happens a lot, and um, that's why uh, one bad game, even if it sells a lot, can like uh, even movies as well. Uh, one bad title in a franchise can do so a lot of da- uh, brand damage. So you can, mm. you actually get that quite often get that peak where the previous titles were so good, people are anticipating the next one, and so you quite often it happens that the, one of the worst in the series actually makes mo- the more, some of the most money. And then damages the brand, and so the the succeeding ones actually get less money, even though they might yeah. be better than that one, just because it, it, it that's where the brand damage happened. So yeah, it's it's an interesting no. uh, business side of it. So yeah, uh, middle of the road, not sure. not great, not terrible, just fine. No, but it does have an interesting legacy because Thunderball was supposed to be the original Bond movie, uh, because of contract dispute with the screenplay with um with Ian Fleming and Eon Productions. That is why eventually the plot of this film would be remade into Never Say Never Again, much down the line with that non-canon bond. But yeah, that yeah. set the stage for it. Yeah, that was a weird, weird little bit of history there. Um, so here they took a two-year gap. Actually, they uh, for You Only Live Twice. Now I remember this one. This one starts out with Bond dying, quote unquote. Yeah, and so he yep. like dies, and then. I think they pull him out of the water, like pull his coffin out of the water and he's actually alive. So like they basically put him under deep cover, you know, uh, under the cover of death, basically, Mm -hmm. um, to go into like a deep mission or whatever, which is one of the kind of funny things about James Bond. When you think about it, like if you were supposed to be a secret agent, would you be throwing your name around every five seconds? Probably not. (laughs) Would you be uh, like the much more uh, practical approach would be something like the saint or whatever, where you come up with new identities each time you each you. Ideally, not with a theme, so people could detect the theme of you know having names of saints, but you know come up with a new accent, new name, new new facial hair, new hair, you know whatever. But you know, Bond's Bond doesn't care. (laughs) Yeah, basically, what I did in between missions in Alpha Protocol when I go to every new location. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get the big lumberjack beard and yeah. So So, here we here we see a return of Blofeld. Um. And this is well. Uh, actually, first first appearance of Blofeld, the very first appearance uh, of Blofeld. Did, did they actually? Did they actually show Marco. us? They 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 yeah. hinted at Blofeld earlier in. Uh, I want to say. Um. Oh, they that Kron. You know, they had Blofeld in in uh, Russia with Love, but I think you might have only seen him like from the shadows. Uh, I remember the first appearances you see him. You mm-hmm. don't really see his face. So I think with Donald Pleasance, you probably see his face for the first time. Before he was kind of like shadowy in rooms, you know, see like maybe see the back of his head. Um, I don't know the exact on Rush with Love, but it does say that he Blofeld did it did appear in that one. Okay. So okay, well, and definitely the first one was the main villain, so maybe not the first yeah. camera appearance, but yeah. yeah. But I, we're back to a Cold War plot with a spaceship that has been hijacked, and they think it's the Soviets, so uh, yeah. with Japanese involvement. So this was James Bond in Japan. This is how I remember you only live twice. 
Yeah, and this has the iconic uh, would never ever fly today uh, transformation scene where you take a how tall is Sean Connery? He was like six foot something. Six something. Uh, I think he was like six four. Something. Yeah, a, a deep voiced uh, <laughs> Scottish man who's uh, uh, was six two at his prime. Uh, you bring him over to Japan and you put on some uh, racially insensitive makeup. <laughs> you stretch his eyes out and uh, and like uh, put a wig and everything like that. And everybody's supposed to believe that he's actually Japanese. <laughs> so aside yeah, from the I mean, yeah, that was a pretty silly plot point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it just looks terrible. If like even by those by that point, it just looked dated and terrible. But you know, it, it was what it was. Like, like let's be honest, we're not judging these. Morality. Yeah, it, it was a it was a product of its time. Um, definitely wouldn't fly today. Uh, he doesn't really look Japanese at all. But we're supposed to believe that <laughs> nope. he's like a he's a master disguise, and he, despite <laughs> him being like a foot taller than everyone else in the country. <laughs> yeah. And so he trains in a secret ninja compound to go into this secret volcano base in Japan, where we have Spectre. They are trying to start World War III by using a rocket to launch a rogue spaceship that attacks both Russian and U.S. ships. It's basically the monster that appears at the, or the alien that appears at the end of Watchmen. But except that here, it's Spectre trying to start World War III. And we're going to have the two of them blow each other up. Yeah. So interesting plot. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think a ton of stuff really stands out, but I did like I did like the setup. The setup was really good. You know, the idea that you're like, oh, wow, he's dead, you know, and then it kind of like pulls a fast one on, on you. And, and then that kind of sets a different tone, you know, ties in with the, the title of the movie, obviously. And uh, well, I- this was also the most deadly, um, the deadly Bond film by a, a pretty large margin. A previous film, Thunderball, was nine kills. This is all the way up to 14. So, you know, full-on 50% increase on, on kills. So, um... Well, I'll be honest. I like this movie quite a bit. Um, oh, okay. Partially, like, the plot was, you know, it's fine. It's a step up from just let's ransom the United Nations, har, har, har. Um, with a little more clandestine back and forth. I like the setting in Japan, which was different because everything else thus far was very Euro-centric. You know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, in the first movie, he did go to Jamaica, but it was still you're still dealing with with a very European regimented yeah. film structure. This is a little bit more exotic, shall we say? Um, and as a result, his car changes to a Toyota because of Japan, of course, which I just find fun. But the uh, auto gyro. The little, like, the gyro helicopter that he's in. I think that's the coolest, one of the coolest things that we saw in the movie. Um, I thought, I, I, I quite like You Only Live Twice, honestly. Here's a really weird fact about this movie. The same year that Roald Dahl wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, his most famous writing, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he wrote <laughs> You Only Live Twice. Isn't that weird? Like, what a, what a, what a weird uh, a tonal shift from, like, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and, you know, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory <laughs> to... <laughs> to a Bond film. Yeah, that's odd. Oh, man. So, um, I think... Oh, well, we've got ninjas invading a crater at the end. That that automatically brings it up to gold tier. Um, I would yeah. say probably right, okay, uh, right on the money... Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say probably right on the money penny. Like, a decent film. Not Not... Yeah, 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 decent film. Okay, so that yeah, was. Yeah, I put that there as well. It's a good movie. Like, it's a good movie, but 
I don't know. All right on the money penny, but or is it shaken not stirred? Because I do think it's by default. I think it's stronger than from Russia with love. Huh. Oof, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah, but it's also like another kind of Cold War, you know, sparking World War Three kind of thing as well. Well, let's be honest. If we're going by that metric, then we're going to be ha- stuck with that until Goldeneye. Yeah, but I'm saying it's like it, it was getting a little bit tired. You know, it was kind of like rehashing a similar conflict. So I would put it on the same tier. I don't think it's really uh, uh, what we, you know, shaken, not stirred tier. That's my opinion, but okay, all right, yeah, no, that's fine. All right, right on the money, Petty. Personally, I might, I might put it up, shaken, not stirred, because Blofeld was awesome too. Uh, Crossington's right. The presence of Blofeld is great. Yeah, but uh, all right, all right, right on the money, Penny. Right on the money, Petty. I can't even read this. Is this the uh, far up, far out, far more? I can't even see which which uh, cover this is. Can you zoom in on the license the to kill, live and let die? It's got to be one of these. I'm thinking it's got to be that one. Uh, oh, that's me, Secret Service. So, live and let die. Dang, is it not on this list? Got to be on this list. It, sh- it should be. Can you zoom into your kill. screen? I, I I did, and I'm not seeing it here. Uh, View to a Kill, Casino Rail, Diamonds are Forever, Die Another Day, for Years Only, Golden Eye, License to Kill, Live and Let Die, Living Daylights, Moonraker, Octopussy, Oops, Octakitty, um, <laughs> Unrest, <laughs> Secret Service, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, Spy Love Me, Man of the Golden Age. Right the last one. Oh, yeah, yeah, The only one twice, the very yeah, last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My the bad. one where you're surrounded by the women. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's a lot of women. It's false advertising, though, because uh, according to this, he's only two shags, so only two of those women he actually uh, was intimate with, so false advertising. Um, cool. And one of them was a, K- a Kiko Waka- Wakabayashi, so... There you mm. go. You know what? I think her alone would help would help elevate that movie, because she is, well, well was at the time, very, very attractive. I remember the uh, the lead there was very very pretty. I mean, obviously Bond girls are always very very pretty, but um, yeah, of course for the most part. But uh, um, <laughs> Vito Kill not so much. But uh, uh, yeah. So next one, um, I think this will be our first big disagreement because I, I think we talked about this a little bit. I personally, yeah. I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I personally think that Honor Majesty Secret Service is one of the best Bond films. I actually really really Oof. enjoy that. Um, <laughs> I know. I know George Lazenby wasn't a particularly popular uh, Bond. They only brought him in for one movie, and then they they scrapped him. But hear me out. Um, this is the movie where, first of all, they've got a, like they they kind of did the first like kind of exotic resort thing. I don't remember that being in too many films before. Then I think that's like a skiing lodge or something like that up in the, up in the mountains. There's a lot of skiing uh, scenes. Some uh, I actually used to listen to the soundtrack of like one of the chase scenes uh, all the time. I actually love the soundtrack of this one a lot. Really, really good orchestral uh, soundtrack. I don't remember. Oh, actually, this one doesn't have a theme song. This one just has the James Bond theme. doesn't have a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a terrible song. <laughs> like, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. 
but you can make it work. I'm not a musician, so I couldn't. But it'd be it'd be tough. But yeah, um, I, honestly, Layson B probably you know he's serviceable, but not my favorite Bond at all. But um, I think he gets a bad rap. Um, you know the the stats, the kills seven, shags three, not particularly memorable. But what I, I will say, this is probably the biggest arc for Bond in in uh, any of the films up to this point, because not only does he, I think we first kind of see under his sort of like ladies' man shell, he actually gets to this this girl and they kind of escape and fall in love. At the end, he marries her. You know, spoiler. Sorry. Uh, and then, you know, spoiler, 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 spoiler. She dies. So, like, it, I think that was definitely a uh, really big turning point in his life and his, uh, you know, morality. And uh, I, I like, like we said yesterday, Shalashaska, this would be an awesome point to go darker with Bond following this. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this great uh, leaping point was basically just dropped in the next movie. They just did Bond as usual in the next film. They kind of ignored the fact that he got married and his wife was assassinated and things like that. So I think it was a great leaping off point and had an interesting kind of like dynamic more than more so than most of the films. But what are your thoughts on the film? I think it's a regression in pretty much every way. So notwithstanding the cynical, darker, edgier bond, which I like, which I really, really do like. And as we were saying yesterday and just jumping ahead a little bit, if this movie linked directly or if it came a little later in the bond filmography and it linked directly to the Dalton movies, I would have a stronger like for it because then it would create the story arc that would be pointed off that would be leaned into really really nicely but as a film like as a follow-up to the sean connery movies we've gone so far it's a regression in every way it's like you said they go back to a non-theme song you have the plot where blofeld's back so he's the villain again nothing wrong with blofeld but his plot like his big plan is we're gonna brainwash women this these women to deliver this bacterial agents around the world. And we're going to destroy the world's food source. And then, you know, what do they eat? Like, we're just going to destroy the world's agriculture. Why you Blofeld, you need agriculture. Just like we do. Where is the, what's your goal here? Yeah. It is a little over the top of the, the, the grand plot. I, yeah, probably one of the weaker evil plots, in the series, I'd say, um, I think there's probably some that are a bit even weaker than that, but as far as like the grand plots, like unlike thing, something like Goldfinger, which had a pretty solid, this plot was to make a lot of money, you know, and had a pretty yeah. practical yeah. way of doing it too, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a little, little over the top uh, as far as the plot, uh, the actual action and like the snow chases and stuff. I really enjoyed the soundtrack was solid. And I really like the arc that, uh, James Bond experiences throughout the film, you know, yeah it would be a perfect setup for like a really dark revenge revenge driven where he goes off the rails next film. Unfortunately, they didn't take advantage of that. So, but you kind I of, think, you kind I think Lazenby, I think Lazenby gets a bad rap. Yeah, he does. Because I don't think he's, a, he, he's easily the worst bond out of all of the bonds, but he gets a bad rap. Like just because you're the worst bond doesn't mean you do a bad job of playing bond. You know, let's be honest. Yeah. He, but, just, uh, you know, people just had a negative yeah. reaction because there's no longer Sean Connery. It wasn't the, you know, they, well, they change the, the cast It's different and not as not quite as charming, not quite as, you know, confident yeah. in the role yet. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and well, and there was no Sean Connery because he was not on speaking terms with Broccoli. Like yeah. he resigned from the movie and they needed a replacement. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I didn't I didn't realize how respected um George Lazenby was, but he's like been doing like fashion ads. He's kind of considered like a pretty pretty respectable uh fashion symbol and and uh you know culture leader for a while. I thought he was kind of like a where they dragged this guy from, you know, but no, he's actually pretty respectable, and I think that he kind of got a the the short end of the stick with that because I think it it was a pretty it was a pretty solid, you know, if not incredibly incredibly brilliant, it was a solid film that had kind of did something a little bit different. Like they kind of they kind of made sort of a almost like let me put it this way: if the Bond films were like a, a an episodic TV series, this would be like your first serial storyline moment this yeah. is like a permanent change in his life he was married and yeah, his wife was murdered you know that's a pretty big change it would be yeah. yeah it would be and i and I'm, I'm i agree with that it's just but if we're talking about it as a film it just does not hold up to the in the same level now part of it is because you have a new actor playing bond part of it yeah. is because you have a new director playing bond too so peter hunt directed it um and he was working on the previous movies but then this is his directorial debut with the bond film so you have a new director you have a new actor and it's just it just kind of (sighs) the studio tried to go out of their way to make audiences forget that it's a new person playing james bond but it also led to like continuity errors this is a direct sequel to the previous movie but then for whatever reason you blofeld doesn't recognize who james bond is and they sort of like start playing that up as an in joke you know like oh we have a new james bond blah 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 they had like some fourth wall jokes like there's one line where bond said well this never happened to the other fellow (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's just too silly for me it's just i don't know it it feels like a regression and i understand they're trying to reboot a new actor and all that but i i did not love i did not love this movie I think okay. I, I would appreciate it more going back to it now, but definitely not one of my favorites. I find it pretty solid. So I would probably put it into Shaken Not Stirred. I'm thinking you probably would put it into on uh, Honest Majesty's Secret Serviceable, ironically. <laughs> more like Dr. Nope. Dr. Nope. <laughs> oh, so I would put it in. If you're tearing this, but I will go to break it up. Sorry. Oh no, we're breaking up Discord. All right, uh, let's switch you. Let's switch you to. Anyway, I was saying, it, it's your it's your tier list, so you can freely put on Shaken Not Stirred. But I just want to go on record and say that I strongly disagree with that. For anybody who comes in later and sees on His Majesty's Secret Service at that top tier, it wasn't my idea. You know, let that be known. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm a diplomatic man, so how about um, right on the money penny? Uh, right in the middle be- between them yeah all right all right we can definitely higher than you'd prefer but uh i thought i thought it had oh yeah some... yeah obviously yeah yeah I, i'm sure we'll find I some movies move. we can... i'm on a tier list where thunderball is ranked lower than honest majesty's <laughs> secret service what did i sign up for <laughs> all right we'll have to watch we'll have to we'll have to make a time to watch it together again and and uh and uh redeem it for you redeem it yeah re- re- regale it okay so oh. Diamonds are forever. This one's a really complicated one. Um, they brought Whoa. Sean Connery back, and this is oh my god! This is one of my least favorites. I hate this one so much. Uh, <laughs> only six kills and one shag. Like this is the this is the most uh, 
unvirile uh, James Bond we've seen yet, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah. I mean, Sean Connery would go on for many, many years uh, doing Bond films, but I remember him, I think they, I don't know if they, like, they didn't dye his hair as much or something like that. I remember him looking like, he'd only been out of the Bond game for, like, a few years, but he looked, like, 20 years older for some reason. I don't know, okay. he had, like, a bad so, divorce right. or something. All right, so before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about the production of okay, yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. So George Lazenby, he gets on with Eon and he signs a contract and he's the new James Bond and he signs a contract for seven Bond movies, right? He left. They didn't fire him. He left his contract after just one. Why? Because his agent advised him to. His agent said, don't do any more James Bond movies. So he left. So here's a list of some of the actors that the producers were contemplating on replacing him with. And the forerunner was John Gavin, but some more familiar names that you might be familiar with. Clint Eastwood, Adam West and Burt Reynolds were all considered (laughs) Eastwood Reynolds and West all stated bond should not be played by an American actor. So these were the actors saying, no, 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 that this is not our, not our ballpark, but they were considered. Can you imagine a world where we got an Adam West, James <laughs> Bond? That, that, that would be <laughs> funny. I'm just mentioning it's like, I just have one question for you. Do you like it? Shaken or stirred? <laughs> like, it's kind of like a gritty, but Burt Reynolds, I, I would actually <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I, Lost count myself and all the excitement. <laughs> <laughs> I one question. Oh, Did man. I kill six guys back there? Just five. Yeah, okay. no, that, that, I'd actually watch that. Um, Burt Reynolds seems to me the most ridiculous for me because I know he was super popular at the time, but he's not a James Bond candidate. I'm sorry. No, he's not. He's not. So anyway, so they need a new actor to come in. United Artists really, really, really wanted Sean Connery back. Sean Connery's still not talking to Albert Broccoli, but they really yeah. want Sean Connery back. So what do they do? They pay him a record-breaking deal. Yeah. They pay him a salary of $1.25 million to come back and do the movie. $1.25 American dollars in 1971, the movie was released. So it started filming in, what, 69, 70? But the point is, 1970, call it $1.25 million. Please, please come back and do James Bond. What does Sean Connery do when he comes back? He phones it in. He phones it in. Like you said, he looked aged. He's away from it for a couple years. Um, you know, his hair's all grayed out. He's a little bit out of shape. And he just, eh, eh, he phones it in. The movie itself, I don't hate it as much as you do, but it's not a good one. It really isn't. He wants, yeah, it's just, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've rented enough. It's your turn to talk. <laughs> yeah, no. Um obviously Sean Connery was phoning it in. He wasn't really happy with it. Uh, he was kind of done with the character it seemed. Uh yeah. the the villains, I cannot stand the villains. They're like caricatures of human beings. Um it's like mm. Mr. Kid <laughs> and Mr. Wint. You know, it's like very Wait. very very uh well, I, I don't want to get into it, but like like look at uh, let me let me pull up the picture of these guys. They, they were terrible. They were terrible. They look. You know what they look like? They look like a less deranged. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, a Kanan Lynch. They look like a less yes. deranged Kanan. 
1970s Kane and Lynch. She's got the hairline and everything. Like, what? What is that? What is that hair? What is that hair? It was so wild. And then there's. Like, yeah. like, oh, what's his name? Uh, who's diabetes? What's the actor's? Oh yeah, Wilford Brimley. Yeah, Wilford Brimley. He looks like Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Wilford Brimley, as played by a 14 year old. Like, look at that kind of baby face underneath. It's such a weird. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then like his death in particular when he has his arms outstretched and then like first like his arms are out and you see like the fire on his arms and then it just engulfs his body and he's just standing there screaming as he's slowly engulfed by fire. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the her like unintentionally comedic deaths, terrible terrible uh you know, villain, henchman whatever. They were kind of the villains of the film. Just a, yeah. a really kind of poor plot. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it was easily one of my um, one of my least favorite Bond films, um, if not for a couple others that I possibly hate even more. But even <laughs> those films probably have more. The ones I hate even more probably have more interesting elements than this one. So this one was just like not only boring but also just kind of awful. <laughs> okay, and so, and so you want to know what the original plot of this movie was, just to show you how silly and how they had no idea what they were going to do. The original plot. Had Goldfingers. Goldfingers, identical twin brother seeking revenge. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> Even for the and 70s. And there's like other stuff too, like Q puts missiles in the car, which are never fired. So that's like a terrible ta- case of Chekhov's gun. Um, yeah. And then the plot is just, the plot ends up being Blofeld, played by a completely new actor now, who's just, who doesn't have the same gravitas as Donald Pleasance. Uh, the new Blofeld is going to use a diamond-encrusted satellite laser system to destroy the world's nuclear arms and provide the ultimate weapon. So it's like a precursor to Goldeneye, except the plot is we have a laser beam that's diamond-encrusted, <laughs> which makes the lasers stronger. Yeah, it, it didn't It didn't really hit the right notes. Um, obviously, too much effort was spent getting, you know, Conray back, but I don't think it was worth it. They just had a, a poor plot, poor, poor characters. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, a rough ride. But um, oh, but the theme song kicked ass. I love the theme song. The theme, theme song, song was, really was solid. Good. Theme song was solid. Yeah. Was some of my favorite theme songs are for some, some of, from some of the worst movies in the series, uh, in my opinion. But um, oh, I also yeah. wanted to bring up one fact from Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, yeah. This is one of the few uh, movies that was based on a book written after the movie started. So while they were filming Dr. No, uh, Ian Fleming himself wrote the book to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is kind of a neat, kind of a neat uh, detail. Um, I wonder if the movies at all influenced his writing. They'd be kind of curious. Yeah, but, that'd be interesting. Yeah, good theme song. Um, Connery was phoning it in. He wasn't really happy with it. He was kind of done with the character. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, henchmen, um, very, uh, like sexless, you know, what one shag, eh, not, not a bond film. You got to have it. Two. <laughs> Which, and, you know, stream is a very important measure. The number of women bought in bed <laughs> that is going into our factoring of the quality of the movies. It, it is like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta come on. Um, and I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't care for Tiffany case. Like there's that one scene later when she's like, I think belly dancing or something and entertaining Blofeld. And then she runs onto like the platform, of the ship to like aim the laser at something. And it just seems like so awkward. I just, I didn't care for her as a bond girl. Oh, was just, she like in a bikini or something like that at the time? Something that like scene? that. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. really silly. Uh, I mean, she was a lovely lady. Looks like it, but uh, yeah. just like, yeah, just poor the plot, just plot and, you know, Connery not being, into it so i would probably 
which tier bottom or second from the bottom i put it in bottom i know you would i dr nope as much as i ragged on this thing and as ridiculous it was i did i did enjoy watching it. i will say that much i'd put it at dr nope okay um but I'm I'm more than okay considering I have very few positive things to actually say about it. Put it in Doctor O nothing. Double O nothing. Yeah. Um there's one there's one I, I, I want to it's, go ahead. It's unintentionally comedic, but I think the comedy is actually why I like it <laughs> as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, what yeah. It's just an it's it's a very unpleasant movie to watch. I remember I, I did not enjoy watching it all. Like even some of the movies I'm not that weren't great. Like even some I of the say later it's unpleasant. I wouldn't say it's unpleasant. It's pleasant to watch, but I'm, but then I also recognize I'm the kind of person who I'll hate watch things, but I'll also love things when they're just like schlocky. And I think that as far as Bond movies go, Diamonds Are Forever is schlock. Yeah, now so. that I've now that I've gotten into like watching bad movies for fun, maybe I would enjoy it from an ironic angle more. But at the time, watching it as a like a, a unironic, unironically watching it as a James Bond film, I did not enjoy it. So yeah. okay, we got we got our first double or nothing. Um, All right, another, another and film. So those would... are the Connery movie. So like before we move on, we should recap the Connery. Connery and Lazenby. <laughs> Connery plus Lazenby. Yeah, so. yeah. Lazenby uh, got his one film, but yeah, Connery kind of set the set the stage. And you know, when you're the first actor to play anything, just like you know Adam West or Michael Keaton, you know, with Batman or uh, Christopher Reeve, especially for Superman, you're anybody who's going to play that character later always gets compared to you. You become the standard. You come, become the bar that you have to clear. And that also kind of, uh, I'd say it also kind of comes with some nostalgic value as well. Like no matter how good or bad you were, you were the first, so you kind of get that thing. Like, you know, personally, I didn't think, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson was doing particularly anything other than his normal. I'm crazy. Jack Nicholson thing when he did the Joker, but it was such an iconic movie. And, you know, it was a great, really, really, well-produced you know superhero movie for the time you know so that it kind of got the thing so yeah i mean connery's a legend you, you, you can't you can't get down on connery yeah yeah so yeah that those are the connery movies there we've got goldfinger as our golden movie uh nothing shaken nothing shaken not stirred yet uh as for right on the money penny we have from russia with love we have uh on his majesty's secret service for some reason <laughs> for some reason the other way they put it. and for you only live twice uh the serviceable movies on his majesty's secret serviceable we have dr no and thunderball which should be higher uh nothing for dr nope yet and double oh nothing diamonds are forever not great it's not a great not a great look not a great film yeah uh Crossington brings up a good point um like some of my favorites are schlock, but diamonds is just boring. Yeah. Like I, I would, I would say that um, there's some parts I, I really don't like about diamonds, but um, like at least the really bad ones, you can kind of enjoy it unironically, but like the worst films are either bad comedies or really, really boring movies. Cause you can't do anything with boring. You know, you can do something yeah. with like really bad, like so tragically bad. It becomes funny. Like, you know, the room or, you know, troll two or something like that. But if it's just if it's just dull, you know, not completely incompetent, but just dull, you know, there's not much you can do with it. Yeah. All right. Now we're on to the Roger Moore era. Now, interestingly enough, Roger Moore uh, started out with one of my least favorite Bond movies of all time, but then followed up with one of my favorite Bond movies. <laughs> so it's it's a he definitely was a roller coaster, Roger Moore. So we're we're dipping into 1973 with Live and Let Die. 
Uh, yeah, and this is this is where you and I actually agree because I look at it in a pretty similar light. Now the question is, how much do you dislike Live and Let Die versus how much do I find it redeemable? Yeah, I like the I like some of the voodoo stuff. Um, like the the guy with the hat, I forget his name. Um, Kenenga was that him or no, the villain, right? The the dictator, or uh, he probably he was probably like a henchman. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't like the big bad. He was probably a henchman. I'm trying to remember what his name was. Um, but I remember he was pretty interesting. If I remember, if I remember right. Um, well, okay. Here's a fun fact. So the villain in live and let die is a Caribbean dictator and he's played by Yafet Koto, who's best known probably aside from this movie. He was in alien. He was Lieutenant uh, Al Ghirardello, an alien. Hmm. That's interesting. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, if I showed you a picture of him, you'd recognize who this guy is. I, I, I probably would, yeah. I don't think he was a huge okay. character in it, but... Oh, no, 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 no. He had a pretty big role in Alien. Here, this guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I remembered him. Yeah. yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very different role, but uh, yeah. Very it was it was very um living like that was very low tech like no cars very kind of like um no no, queue no yeah no queue uh not really any gadgets um i mean technically some like some basic stuff but yeah it was kind of a i would also agree you know with your comments about um on your majesty secret service this is kind of a almost like a maybe it was intentionally kind of like a let's roll back some but I feel it's a little bit, a yeah. little bit like a devolution of the of the formula. I kind of rolled it back. Now that's all to say that it's got one of the best theme songs of the series, like the Paul McCartney's "Living It Die." That's like the instant. It was it was like a a straight up you know top forty pop song. Just just happened to be mm-hmm. you know made for a Bond film. So yeah, easily one of the best theme songs. Still a great great song that I sing every once in a while. It's a decent song. I much prefer the Guns N' Roses version personally. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he wrote it. He wrote but, it for that. So, you know, you, you got to get credit. Did, yeah. yeah, it's probably it's one of the better theme songs. One of the best bosses. Jane Seymour. Like, you know, Jane Seymour's yeah. absolutely a bombshell. I, I, yeah, yeah. I like Jane Seymour's. Uh, she played Solitaire. Yeah, I know. I thought that was a yeah. that was a. She was actually one of the better one of the better aspects of the film, I believe. Um, if yeah. I recall, she but, wasn't like a, just all. A lot of the Bond girls were just basically just eye candy. I think she had some agency, and if I if I recall correctly, um, mm-hmm. I could I could be making that up, but uh, I'll be honest, I don't remember <laughs> that well. <laughs> Black exploitation Bond. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. Um, well, let's talk about the plot. Why is it? Uh, because the plot is there's a dictator in the Caribbean, and he wants to distribute distribute distribute. Ugh, English is hard. Uh, heroin for free. Like it's free real estate. It's free heroin. <laughs> um, by doing that, he'll increase demand, and then what that will do is drive his competitors out of business and give himself a monopoly. So we're dealing with, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I know, I know Indigo. When we talk about a later Bond movie, and you say, "Eh, the plot's not very James Bondish," I want you to remember "Live and Let Die" because I'm going to make a reference back to this. So the the movie is about uh, drug distribution, and uh, basically a drug monopoly. Eh, eh. I didn't lo- care for the plot. 
Um, yeah, I'm really not in f- a fan of the fun. James Bond drug movies, um, as well. I'll get into later, but yeah, I, I don't think drugs. Obviously, that was a big like you know dare you know dare to teach kids to stop drugs, and it, it was a big there was a big drug drug it epidemic. Bad. It was a big drug e- epidemic back at the time. So obviously, a lot of movies addressed mm. that problem, but um, yeah, I I, I wasn't. I, I don't think James Bond should be stopping drugs. I think that I think that the plot should be a little bit more lofty, either a grand like sinister heist, uh, uh, you know, like in Goldfinger, where he's trying to rob all the gold of Fort Knox or something like, you know, world changing, you know, laser in the sky or nukes or starting wars or something like that. Drugs just seems a little bit more uh pedestrian a little bit more like this should get the local authorities do this kind of thing but that's just me yeah it was, it was gonna be like in in the case of live and let die in particular because i'm going to contrast this later on when we talk about the other drug yeah. movie in the case of live and let die in particular why would the british care about a caribbean drug dealer you know with heroin distribution that's doesn't quite seem like something that mi6 would get involved in especially considering that we're talking about a plot that occurs around Saint Martinique and the former French colonies, rather than former English ones. Yeah, it's a it's a little uh, it, it's a weak motivation. Like, why would yeah, why would the double agents be sent out to that and with so little backup and resources and stuff like that? Because like, yes, a double seven agent is extremely talented when like in a metropolitan area because they can kind of blend in they can schmooze they can you know use all the gear and stuff like that but out in the sticks like you're kind of you're kind of uh, you know americans fighting in you know vietnam you're out of your element so um but i will say one redeeming feature i really liked uh at least the character design of baron samedi i think he was a pretty pretty uh striking memorable um not super important to the plot but um definitely uh an interesting well and and this is where you get to like that surreal level because then you have kanenga mr big assumes the form of baron samadhi as or sandy or whatever as his avatar and now you don't know if that's actually he's part like he's partially mr big's henchman he is or is he actually the baron of death is he actually like a loa god or is he just like a henchman who assumes the identity of it it's so out there and so surreal and weird and then later james bond lore particularly in like the video games or whatever or whatever will really lean into the supernatural yeah element of it now i love the supernatural and i love that kind of blending of it but not in james bond it's no james bond is too grounded in reality for this to exist in that universe cleanly like if this was, you know, a kind of a, a spy thriller, like any other spy thriller that kind of leaned into that, this would be much more appropriate. But yeah, it, it's too weird for Bond. Yeah, Gali Ma in Indiana Jones, it was weird, but it fit. Like that it makes that, sense. If, yeah, cons- yeah. Considering the first movie, they found the Ark of the Covenant, yeah. <laughs> and you're already dealing with Christian mythology at that point. Yeah. Then yeah, that totally works in that universe. But here it's what. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a weird left turn, and I believe there was some sort of didn't they did they use voodoo dolls in that one, or like yeah, they yeah, did like they pinned them yeah. yeah yeah that was weird I remember thinking yeah. like this is not James Bond come on guys so yeah it was just a really yeah 
a weird left turn. It felt like a fan fiction. Maybe it was written by uh, Fleming. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I can't. I, it was. It was. It, it, it was. was. Based, it was based on a Fleming book. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Fleming read too much, like you know, fantasy adventure films or whatever, or he was really interviewed at the time. But yeah, I. I, I don't know how many. Um, you know, how much freedom or kind of. Uh, you know, creative freedom they took from the from the book and what was all in the book, but it just felt like a weird left turn. So that I, well, the I, book I, was the book was radically different from the movie. Yeah, right. Okay. Now I haven't read very many of the James Bond books at all, but I know for Live and Let Die, it basically goes from this Haitian dictator. He wasn't even a dictator in the movie. He was a dictator. He's a Haitian smuggler and a money launderer and a casino owner or a club owner or something like that, and he's smuggling gold coins to Smirsh. Right, and Smirsh is one of the organizations that Bond goes after. It's like uh, the Russian department oh oh no i know what smirsh is it's death spies it's the anti-spy organization of the soviet union so he's smuggling coins there that's the book right so it's it's actually much more grounded reality but he's part of a voodoo cult and that adds flavor to it yeah in the movie you actually (laughs) just see voodoo gods and yeah yeah like i'm fine with the the idea of exploring like how belief can influence people like that that's totally fine if if they if they're using the voodoo cult to like influence the locals or attain some sort of level of you know power or whatever that's fine but i think they're i I remember scenes like the literally like stabbing aren't they like stabbing the doll and like people are getting in pain and and things like like that the pin around yeah and it was like like, this is not you know like it seems like a this seems like a indiana jones plot or whatever or something else so yeah. I would. So I would like, probably. If it was the Vampire of the Masquerade plot. I'd be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's when you never int- introduce like pure fantasy into a, a franchise, it'll always just come off as very strange. Um, and, and very I also out of place. say, I hate. Oh yeah, I also say I hate the alligator jump scene because it's also kind of silly. There's so um, many silly scenes in that. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it works. I get it. And technically speaking, that is. I think I read somewhere. Now I could be wrong. I think I read somewhere that's something you actually can do. <laughs> but I, I, I think I remember reading it. But I also don't want to quote that because I don't want to like you know be wrong. But it's just you know uh, that 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 scene it stands out for me for the wrong reasons. But I feel that despite those problems, I, I think it's still enjoyable enough because I do think Yafet Koto did a great job playing the villain. I think that Baron Samity, as silly as he is in a Bond movie, he's iconic enough. Very that iconic, yeah. I still, yeah, I still enjoy seeing him. The theme song, like you said, is great, and you know, and like I said, I absolutely love Solitaire. So I don't hate this movie. It's not, it's not one of my favorites, but I don't dislike it. Yeah, we talking about it more. It's gone up a little bit in my grade, but it was definitely when I started this, it was definitely bottom tier for me. So would you probably yeah, put, put it in Dr. Mid- nope. Dr. Nope, put yeah. It in Dr. Nope. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking if you were thinking more like a middle ground, I would say Dr. Nope is a as a compromise. No, no, I'd actually put it at, at Dr. Nope because like uh, now we have to think about this. Do I like this movie better than Dr. No? No, I don't. I think Dr. No is a much better movie overall. Right. Yeah. So by default, Live and Let Die has to be Dr. Nope. 
Yeah. Now, does is it unique? Sure, but you know, unique isn't always good, especially when you kind of like no. break the universe with magic. Yeah. You know, magic in a Bond yeah. film and is I, weird. I put it. I put it on the same tier as I would put on a Majesty Secret Service, but for different reasons. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to watch that. I, th- I think you. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised you know by the film. I think you'll like it more when you, you know, watch our, it again. Our next movie night. Our next movie <laughs> night. We'll make that happen. I'm okay with giving another one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it would have definitely have been elevated had it been followed up by a really good turn. Like it was a great setup for something yeah. big that just didn't happen. So I, I, I yeah, no I, payoff. Yeah, as a sol- solitaire movie that had a potential for a, a payoff would be great. Now the next movie, yeah. uh, 1974's The Man with the Golden Gun. I think we both agree this is like good stuff, really good stuff, like a total it's turnaround. Yeah, it's good stuff. I'll tell you right off the bat, me right off the bat, shaken not stirred. It a great it's an excellent bond movie i don't quite put it up in a golden but this movie is fantastic man i was hoping we get all the movies with gold in the name up into the golden tier but <laughs> maybe that won't happen <laughs> but uh yeah no really good i mean like uh th- this is the bond films really demonstrate the, the value of a really good villain like we get christopher yeah. lee as you know the main uh scaremonger right uh he he was just yeah. a great he was threatening, but at the same time, like charming, you know, that, that, that nice mix of like, this guy actually doesn't, you know, if I, if he wasn't holding a gun to my head, you know, I'd love to talk to him. And Chris really just has that kind of very, he was, he was extremely tall. You know, I think he's about, he was about my height before he died. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, rip, rip Chris Lee, but, uh, very imposing, deep, deep, uh, Shakespearean and uh, theatrical, uh, you know, speaking, he's like, you know, you just enter a room, like any role he does. He had a tiny bit role in, in the terrible, terrible nineties, uh, Tim Burton, uh, sleepy hollow. But I'm like, he's so good. <laughs> you know, he's good in anything. I thought you were so. about to say the, uh, the howling too. I'm like, he carried that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's amazing. <laughs> howling to my 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 sister my sister's a werewolf no 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 streba werewolf bitch that let's call it by its proper name okay there you go <laughs> but uh, um, no i agree i think christopher lee as i you said the villain elevates the movie yeah like christopher lee does such a great job of playing scaramanga and not only that but you have a villain a world-renowned assassin who is on the same level technically as bond at yeah. skill level that final confrontation with the two of them and they're kind of just like eyeing each other out they start off with that duel back to back and then they break yeah. off and then they're like following each other it's like the deadliest game kind of hunting yeah great scene it's so filled with tension because you don't know what's going to happen obviously like you have a hunch bond's going to win he always does he's the hero but they do such a great job of framing it and pacing it that it leaves you wondering like what's the next step what's going to happen next especially when you consider like with with bond he's taking shots he is nervous he sees scaramanga hiding behind a wall shot he misses that's not him scaramanga is using the island the arena to his advantage and he only has one shot right the golden gun only has a single bullet so he has to be precise where bond has some room for error so it's this really great cat and mouse game i think that is incredible and I believe this is a great example of uh, like setup and payoff. I believe early in the film, you see Scaramanga do the hunt with somebody else, and so you kind of mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of get that, and you see how deadly he is, and how uh, disorienting, and how dangerous this this sort of like you said, yeah, the uh, the most dangerous game esque uh, hunt is yeah. with the, the Hall of Mirrors, which is really iconic, right? 
But um, yeah. and then so when you see J- uh, James Bond introduced into that scenario, you're like, oh crap, you know, this is I I saw what happened last time. This is not good. So it's a really great way of like setting up something because yeah. quite often the Bond films had a, had a habit of just introducing a a ridiculous, dangerous scenario like right off the bat, uh, or, or like a, not right off the bat, but like for the first time to to Bond. So yeah. it's like, oh wow, this is a thing. But um, in Golden Gun, I, I remember that was set up earlier. So it had a, that sort of payoff where you're like, oh man, you know, James Bond is, is, uh, you, you know, this guy knows all the mirror tricks. He's going to be able to sneak up on James Bond. The very, mm-hmm. it was a very psychological battle as well as physical, you know, it's it about yeah. outwitting your opponent. And there were a lot of hollow mirrors. Uh, I mean, there's been lots of hollow mirrors seen since, but I think this is definitely up there with, uh, enter the dragon and some of one of the most iconic, it was just a really, really yeah, well done for sure. scene. For sure. And in the movie, there's only a single death. And spoiler alert, it's Scaramanga. <laughs> and one shag. Wow, it's got like the lowest score of all the films. Yeah, it's one of the best. Yeah. Wow, my, my theory's yeah. been disproved. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I will also say, I think I think Nick Knack's a fun villain, too. I think Nick Knack, was, he, I enjoyed him. Scaramanga's little manservant. Oh, I, I, yeah, I remember him now. I keep on getting him mixed up with the guy from from what... Uh, so, uh, yeah, so... Fantasy <laughs> Yeah, so in Goldeneye, the video game, this is the thing that kind of irked me about the Oddjob odd job character, is that they combined Oddjob with Nicknack. Because Nicknack was this little person, right? Mm-hmm. And he wore the suit with the bowler hat and all that, and they combined that with Oddjob with this model, and then just made him Oddjob, who's like six feet tall in in uh, Goldfinger. Like, he's taller than Sean Connery. Like, six-something, right? He like six-seven, I think, or something like that, right? Yeah. Something like that. Something ridiculous. But then you had Knick-Knack, who's this little butlered, bowler-hatted assassin, and, you know, I, I enjoyed him, because he, not even for co- comedy value, but he just proved to be a really wily henchman. I'm gonna bump you over to a different region here. Uh, let's try US. You're cutting US. off again? Yeah, you're, uh, okay, it looks like you're a lot better now. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, um, for some reason, US East wasn't working. Then we switched to Singapore. That seemed to work, and now, now US East is working again. Yeah, surprising. Very, very small um, kill and, and uh, shag count. But the reason I was getting Knickknack mixed up with the Fantasy Island guy is because he is the Fantasy Island guy. He is the he Fantasy is the Island guy, guy. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not just little peopleist. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, very, very weird, very weird setup. But um, it's that sort of. It's almost like a it's almost like a one on one like a like a movie length duel between the two, like a, yeah. it, it's a it's a very personal kind of one on one story between the two, and that's what kind of makes it interesting. Fun fact: Christopher yeah. Lee was Ian Fleming's cousin, knew each other pretty well. He's a, uh, and uh, he actually was one of the bigger inspirations for Bond. Uh, Christopher Lee served in in I believe uh, the some sort of service in the. Uh, British military and he was, he was actually like a full on spy did, did actually killed men and things like that. Did a lot of really crazy stuff in real life before becoming an actor. And a lot of his exploits, I guess, inspired his cousin Ian Fleming to write about it. So there you go. Yeah. A bit of history. He's a big like, Now I will say this and I would with the uh, Jules Borges in chat, uh, they didn't lean into the martial arts thing. They could have had a Bruce Lee as henchman. I actually do agree with you there. So man with the golden gun had a whole bunch of Kung Fu in it. Uh, he was on the uh, uh, like there was a number of kung fu scenes because it's 1974. Bruce Lee yeah. is hitting that kind of height. 
And they could have had something to reflect that more rather than just kind of the whole hum kung fu that, you know, there was in it. Um, I think that would have made the film a lot more interesting. So definitely, definitely something I think that would have enhanced the movie more. But that being said, I think that you and I, Indigo, are in the very big minority because a lot of people don't like this movie. They think it's one of the worst ones. Between Chad over here and even between like the Rotten Tomato score, they're not fans of this one, which I don't see. I love this movie. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was one of the more popular ones. It also, um, not that it really matters because we're covering the movies, but it's it's a shoe-in for most influential to the video games, like with the, the golden gun mode and things like that. Like it definitely, yeah. it, that's such a great video game idea, having a, an insta-kill, insta-kill gun, you know, yeah. uh, dual sort of thing. So um, I personally think it's shaken, not stirred. I agree. Uh, I didn't know that there was a public outcry to it, but between us two, I think we're in agreement that it's definitely up up yeah. there. Yeah, we're just for fun. Like I know the Rotten Tomato score isn't good. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see. Man with the Golden Gun, Rotten Tomatoes. Critic score forty percent, audience score fifty five percent. Okay. Well, at least uh, the audience liked it better than the uh, the critics, but. <laughs> yeah it's as as a side note now just as a pure side note because this is the first thing i see in the you also might like three ninjas high noon at oh, no. mega mountain <laughs> would you like to guess what the scores are for three ninjas high noon at mega mountain oh god i'm saying it's got to be under 20 oh yeah well which one critics or critics or audience um dang there's got to be some people who probably like it like you know dumb kids or whatever <laughs> but uh um hey, I, I was one of those dumb kids because i remember <laughs> watching that movie several times from the video store why hulk hogan was in it <laughs> oh yeah i watched super suburban commando with hulk hogan and i i love the hulkster and i actually uh he actually lives like um in my area sometimes we actually run into him you know at local stores and stuff like that but he's a terrible actor <laughs> he is awful he is awful anyway <laughs> The critic score for this movie is zero percent. Oh. Audience twenty nine. Zero <laughs> percent. Yeah, that, that that seems right. Uh, All right, so I put uh, Golden Gun in Chicken Not Stirred. Um, yeah, I, I, I when I think about that more, it was definitely kind of like a one on one, like you know, duel between the two, which made it kind of stand out in that way. All right, Spy Who Loved Me. Um, uh, I give I give the cover a ten out of ten. Oh but, yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll show the I'll show the audience what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very I I I very much love the cover here. Um, so this one was another. This one was another uh water water based one, kind of almost like an unofficial. Mm. Uh. Now, obviously, nothing to do with the Thunderball, but it kind of felt a little bit like another kind of attempt at that sort of water, you know, naval, watery-based uh, Thunderball-esque mm-hmm. one. Um, now, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to summarize the plot. Go ahead. There's a reclusive megalomaniac, right? As there are in Bond movies. <laughs> As you do. And he plans to destroy the world, and he wants to create a new civilization. And where is this new civilization going to be? 
Under the sea, ba, 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 <laughs> under the sea, da, da, da. down here it's wetter. Something is better for you and me. Yeah, that's the plot. <laughs> He's basically it's Moonraker, but underwater. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you another quote uh, here. <laughs> is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? <laughs> no, yeah. says the man in Washington. It belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican. It belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow. It belongs to everyone. <laughs> okay, so now that we've referenced uh, both uh, <laughs> Little Mermaid and Bioshock, um, Spy <laughs> Love Me. Uh, this one kind of middle ground more for me. Um, yeah, uh, more. Uh, I want to say he was the most prolific Bond actor. Is that true? He's been. He seemed like he was in like twenty movies, but I, I know it's not that been that many. No, I, no, no. He he's the most prevalent one, I think. Yeah, because he was in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies. Yeah, he's he's been in more uh, than anyone else um, uh, over the years. Uh, at least the mainline movies. I don't. know, Maybe you can count the other ones with Sean yeah. Connery and bump it up. Well, no, we're only counting Eon, right? For yeah, we're only with, counting Eon. Even if you go with Eon, right? Sean Connery was in seven, right? So six six Eon movies plus. Never say never again. Seven. Yeah. So even so, yeah, I remember getting a little bit of when I, as I was watching them, I don't know if I necessarily watched them chronologically, but I remember getting a little, a tad bit of more fatigue, if you know what I mean. Um, and this was right around, I watched this one right around that time where I was suddenly kind of like, this is fine. You know, it's James Bond. I wouldn't call it the, the worst, the best. I just, it was, it was a, it was a solid movie. I remember. Okay. Yeah. I probably liked it better than Thunderball, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I definitely did like it better than Thunderball. I think that Carl Stromberg was kind of a fun villain, um, just because of that whole, you know, yes, I am going to create this underwater utopia. But more than anything, I think that I love this movie because this was also the introduction of Jaws. Yeah, Jaws. I was just about to say that. We, we see Jaws in this one and the following movie. Um, who was a really weird character because <laughs> uh, he'd eventually he like started out as like intimidating henchman with metal teeth, and then and then eventually became like comic relief. It was very it was a really odd turn in the next one, yeah. In next <laughs> one, yeah. yeah, in Moonraker, he definitely became comic relief, right? And uh, this one was possibly the most brutal as far as kill count up to this point with eighteen kills. Interestingly, um, yeah, it even tops You Only Live Twice, so uh, it takes out a lot of henchmen in this one. Um, Jaws was obviously very memorable. Uh, somebody yeah. said that uh, uh, Barbara Barbara Bach, uh, Ma- Major Anya Amasova, I don't remember her that much, but I'll take your word on it that she was terrible. <laughs> I think the fact that you don't remember her speaks volumes. Yeah, I don't remember her face. Um, Definitely. I mean, no offense to the to the ladies of the Bond movies, but they weren't necessarily picked for their acting all the time. <laughs> Not always. But, um, uh, and I, so yeah, like there's that. Um, and the theme song, I don't care for it. It's it's okay. Um, but it's also weirdly a theme song that's not reflective of the title of the movie. The theme song is "Nobody Does It Better" by Carly Simon. Yeah, it was a weird. It, it's a really nice, nice song, but 
it was weird that it wasn't uh, named after the the actual name of the film. Like that's a weird that's a weird kind of departure. Um, but I remember liking the song quite a bit. But I, it's got I gotta say it's probably got one of the coolest Bond uh, tech gadgets. I'll pull it up here in a second here. Um, Are you talking about the submersible or? Yeah. Yeah. Submersible. Submersible. Uh, Lotus Espirit. Lotus Esprit or whatever you call it. Um, Esprit, yeah. Let me find a good a good photo of it here. Um, yeah, this was a pretty cool. I wonder how real the, the prop was. Uh, doesn't like me doing that. Come on. So, like we do according that according to Wikipedia, the, the the submersible is called Wet Nelly. It is a custom built submarine for the movie in the shape of the Lotus Esprit uh, Esprit sports car, which means that the submarine does not maintain a dry interior, and that's it's a wet sub. So you need when you're in the sub, you need to have scuba gear, but okay. it actually does work. Okay. It is an actual sub- submarine. It was built by Perry Ocean uh, o- Oceanographic Perry Oceanographic Oceanographic Incorporated, and it cost one hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, the fact that it was actually like a really actually kind of worked. I mean, obviously they probably. I'm guessing they probably replaced it with a uh, a wheeled car on the shots that it drove back up on land or whatever, but. Um, the yeah. fact that they made like a really cool, unique car for that—that's kind of, you know, that 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 bumps up a little bit. I don't know if like a tier, but I remember thinking that that was a pretty cool prop, at least. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely was. It's one of the coolest vehicles, I think. Yeah. Um, and what else? Oh yeah, they had that set piece with Jaws fighting a shark, which was <laughs> ridiculous, but. But perfect. <laughs> yeah, the Roger Moore movies definitely go up on the campy scale. Like some of the campiest movies in the in the entire series are the Roger Moore films. Yeah. Like this one and the next one, they take it up to like extreme oh. campy levels. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! And I remember they're they're at the ski lift, right? And that was when Jaws was like chasing him. So like Jaws is slowly chasing him up the ski lift. And then Bond does that ski jump, and he opens up the parachute, and it's this big parachute with a Union Jack on it. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I recognize that and like there, there's so many of these moments uh the, this inspired a lot of the stuff from uh uh that would later be parodied in um austin powers like i think he yeah. has like a big uk you know parachute and everything like that it's a it's a very it's a very memeable movie um so it's i'd say it's enjoyable um not particularly good when taken seriously but an enjoyable film so what are you thinking like serviceable or right on the money serviceable. penny serviceable. serviceable yeah serviceable it's a fun movie i can understand i think there's so it's on right here crossing then it's a template of what is a good bond movie it's most representative of what a bond movie is i can see that I think that that's definitely something that elevates it a little bit but i think that goldfinger still just pushes everything it's it's far more iconic in every aspect, whereas I think the Spy Who Loved Me works. But you know what? No, I can put it on the money penny. I think I can put it on money penny. It's up there. Think so? It's up there. Eh, I'm kind of on the yeah. fence. I'm kind of on the fence with it, but I think I think I can put it up on money penny. 
when I when I talk about how well it works out, but I don't know. All I know is that it's up there with I like it about on the same level that I do like hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? I put it right on the money penny. Right for me personally. I'd be more on the serviceable um service. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we can revisit it later. I, I it's right it's like it's like a serviceable point five for me. Like you, you right it, Yeah, I somewhere think, in there. I think it's my issue is I think it's more entertaining than Thunderball and Doctor No. That's why for me I would put it at Money Penny. Because yeah. through and through it's a much more entertaining move. So. I, I agree with you, but it's also like less original than those. Like Thunderbolt, at least yeah. is doing something new, kind of going the you know naval underwater stuff like that. That's kind of doing that again. But yeah, um, another know, World War Three plot. Yeah, it's little. I, I remember this movie distinctly. Kind of this one in A View to a Kill, kind of getting a little bit of more more fatigue. It was like okay, kind of. Uh, kind of we'll this talk before. about A View to a Kill. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, definitely, the next one has a lot of meme meme potential. Um, <laughs> Moonraker is batshit crazy. That movie is nuts. Um, so it's the same plot as the Spy Who Loved Me, <laughs> except now we're in space. Yeah, it's by they bring Jaws back. <laughs> yeah, they bring Jaws back. Uh, Hugo Drax, Michael, uh, played Lonsdale. by Michael Lonsdale. Um, you know, it, it, I personally. Uh, liked Moonraker a lot more than Spy Led Me because it's so ridiculous. But it, it like as as a serious Bond film is kind of kind of ridiculous and and stupid. But it it definitely was campy as heck. Probably one of the campiest Bond films. I agree with you. I actually, oh wow, Michael Lonsdale died last year. Oh no, yeah. R- Rip Hugo it? Drax. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. It's much more campier, but because it's like, I find it so damn enjoyable. It's very enjoyable. I find yeah. this movie so damn enjoyable. Like, we're gonna, I'm going to like, but there's no World War Three plot, so I'll give it credit for that. No, instead he's going to like spread this toxin to humanity from space, and then he's going to repopulate the globe with perfectly th- this this plot of perfectly <laughs> genetic. So it's basically Movie Bob the movie. <laughs> If movie Bob was able to, <laughs> if he was able to make a biopic of it, this looks like a, a relatively small amount of Earth. The laser from the moon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh... But yeah, so he's going to repopulate with these genetically perfect humans. It's it's insane, but that's why I like it. Because as silly as the plot is, and then Hugo Drax is such a great villain, because there's that scene when Roger Moore, he's flying over the Drax estate, it's like, oh, why doesn't he just get the Statue of Liberty? Oh, they he's bought it, but they just won't let him bring it over. So he, he owns, or was it the Eiffel Tower? I can't remember, it was one or the other. But he literally owns it, and the government's just like, no, you're not moving it over. You can own it, but it's staying here. Yeah, no, it, it's wild. Um, this is when they're like, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure... I don't know if it's based on a Bond uh, on a uh, Fleming novel. I, I I have to research it, but I, I get the idea that the studio was like, okay, let's go crazy. Let's uh, yeah. let's really get people's attention with something really out there. And you know how far out there? Out in space. So yeah. So it is. So Moonraker is a Bond novel. It's the third Bond novel. Oh wow! And okay. <laughs> again, very little to do with the movie. So yeah. 
Yeah. So Bond in the second half of the movie, he seconded to Drax's staff as a businessman that builds the Moonraker weapon, which is a prototype missile used to defend England. Then he finds out Drax is actually German. He's an ex-Nazi working for the Soviets. So he builds this rocket, fills it with a nuclear warhead, and fires it at London. Again, oh much God. more grounded, much more grounded plot. 1955, so it's directly tied into that. Um, tied into that, like post World War II. Did, did, uh, Ian Fle- did Ian Fleming accidentally write uh, what would become Wolfenstein: The New Order? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's amazing, uh, but I just love it. Like uh, I'm just reading like some uh, high level details of Moonraker to refresh my memory. Set yeah. pieces: gunfight in space with jetpacks and laser guns. <laughs> 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 it's like how can you top that? That's just like pure camp. <laughs> it, it, it's wonderful, and it's I think it's indicative of the entire run of Roger Moore movies, where yeah. everything is just that campy, over the top. Yeah. Um, Utter silliness, other utter silliness, but that's why I like. That's why I love it. Yeah, weirdly enough, like, uh, yeah, it, the man with the golden gun, where he, where he hunts a man with a one bullet in his gun, with it made purely of gold in a hall of mirrors, is like one of his most grounded <laughs> films yeah. of his yeah. of his career. So it's kind of kind of funny. Now, now in in the defense of man with the golden gun. He, Roger Moore actually got criticism for the way he portrayed Bond because they said it was too close to Connery, which oh. is, I think, why I liked it so much because it was that yeah. grounded, you know. Whereas this, this is like pure Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah. I, I nothing against Roger Moore, but like, I kind of got the way he portrayed Bond. He was a little, little smug. I kind of got yeah. the idea, like after he made a quip, he's like, <laughs> "That was pretty funny," you know. It's like kind of like, like, like he just kind of got the idea that he, he he was really enjoying himself a little bit more. Yeah, he, he he's James Bond if like if written by Bread Tube. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was always a little bit, little bit. He was he was smug Bond, which you know yeah. I, I know a lot of people uh, like him as as Bond. He wasn't my favorite, but he some of his movies were were really great, um, and he definitely contributed to those. Moonraker, I would actually put on right on the money penny um i would put it higher uh, like ironically it's like top tier unironically <sighs> not so high no uh, so... no see i disagree i think it's shaken not stirred i think it's a solid <laughs> movie from start to finish it is the perfect roger moore movie um and even like with the, some of the quips like the smug bond is when they reintroduce jaws and he comes back it's like who's that that's his name's jaws he kills people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of it just speaks to me. I I, the, I think that it's a the, solid Bond movie. The Jaws, the Jaws love story with the little the little oh. woman. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this whole plot. You have this whole plot of we're gonna send these genetically perfect humans into space. They're gonna repopulate the earth. Who's left in space? It's this geeky little professor that is working for the Drax Corporation like with this program and she has a crush on jaws and there's that one scene when jaws smiles at her right and it's like ah, it's like that weird you know messed up jaws yeah. and then they're at the end of the movie and richard keel has the line when they're drinking champagne because they're all alone up there well here's to us <laughs> yeah it, it was a very strange film um yeah i <laughs> she was so small I'm pulling. I'm trying to pull up a picture Tiny, here. Uh, comparatively, 
Oh. Uh, is it is is that the actual actress that? Okay, I think I think this is the actual actress that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she looks like his child. I'm I'm assuming that's the actress in Moonraker, right? Or is that his actual daughter? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I'm gonna be. I remember. Totally I remember. It was a very nerdy girl. I think she had the the dual braids. But yeah, I know. It was like he was just so yeah. much bigger than her. Um. Yeah, I think it was her. It was the little girl with the braids. Um, little woman with the braids. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's her. That's it. Was such a weird like tonal shift where it's like you had this cute little love story between like a nine foot tall dude and like a four foot tall like nerdy girl. Yeah, uh, ironically, definitely high tier. Unironically, like if you try to treat this as like a serious James Bond adventure, very, very difficult to take yeah. it seriously. <laughs> Hey, look, so, it's silly and it's outlandish, and I don't disagree with you, but I think that's why I liked it. And again, this is one of those Bond movies that not everybody else likes, but I love it. I don't know, maybe I'm just going against the grain with what is conventionally loved as a Bond movie, but I love this movie. Yeah, I I, I would bump it up higher, ironically, lower, unironically, so... All right, so put uh, it at Money Penny. Money Penny, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, as fun as it is, like it's one of the most fun Bond movies, but it's also one of the dumbest. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, let's see, where is that Moonraker? Yeah, no, I can agree with that. So I, I, yeah, I definitely like it a little better than I like Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, but it's yeah. at least more, more yeah. interesting right. and more goofy, and has a lot more like ridiculous props and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, okay, cool. So now we're okay. We got for your eyes only. Yeah, we still have more more ones. So we've got for your eyes only. This one, um, I actually really good theme song. Uh, for your eyes only. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good theme song. Kind of like somber, you know, and uh, not the greatest plot, but I think it had like a really solid uh relationship with the with the the leading lady. I think that it, like they kind of felt. Very genuine, I'll say. I think it had one of the most yeah. the gen, most genuine uh, relationship with the the uh, Bond and the the leading lady of all the more films, I'd argue. But overall, uh, mm-hmm. not not like the most zany plot. I think the standout, like the standoff at the end, was actually pretty pretty dull. But um, yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. Like for your eyes only, it's not the most memorable of Bond movies for me. It's okay. I remember the villain because he's played by Julian Glover, the Greek businessman. Yeah. I like but, the Greek setting. I like the Greek setting a lot, like the kind of Greek islands and stuff like that. That was a really cool setting. Yeah, for me. that's neat. Yeah, it is. But I mean, again, I remember it because it's played. He's played by Julian Glover and mm-hmm. I love Julian Glover. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know who Julian Glover is, he played um, General Veers in Empire Strikes Back who led the attack with the AT-ATs against the rebel base. And he was also Walter Donovan in Indiana Jones, the last crusade. Yeah. He was the, uh, the villain in the last crusade. And he was also one of the, uh, the lead empire, uh, general guys. So yeah, I know I, I didn't yeah. know that name, but yeah, we've seen a lot of things. Um, yeah, it, it was a fine movie. I thought, I thought that the, uh, the, the love story was, was pretty solid. Um, and I like I'm I'm part Greek and I always liked uh, Greece as a country and I, I was a huge Greek mythology mm-hmm. buff growing up so I probably you know colored my mm-hmm. appreciation of the setting but overall 
Uh, I remember I, I rewatched the uh, the standoff at the end, pretty pretty like weak sauce a little bit. Yeah, uh, the build up to it and yeah. the relationship, and uh, I think at the end, um, like she says, for your for your eyes only, darling, or whatever. And it's like, oh, it ties together. It's nice, yeah. nice love story. The love story was very uh, strong. Uh, he said it. He said it. Uh, uh, he, said <laughs> he said it. He said, he said, he said the word. <laughs> So here's the thing. I know the theme song because it's Sheena Easton, and like the one song I know by Sheena Easton is Nine to Five, and I love that song. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing and I at know uh, that through Seinfeld. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just love it laughing at uh, Crossington. The ending is two elderly men fighting on a mountain. Yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like Metal Gear Solid Four, just not as memorable. <laughs> Snake, what's wrong? Yeah, Snake, so I Snake. yeah. So it's like it, it, I don't know. It's not the most memorable one for me. Um, it's okay. I mean, serviceable. Yeah. I, I would put it. I, I think it has this like one of the strongest love stories, like right up there with uh, um, uh, fra- uh favorite. Yeah, Majesty Secret Service. Um. It seemed like a genuine love story that would last beyond the end of the film. Of course, it doesn't. But uh, uh, for that reason, I like it. But yeah, as a film, I I, I don't know if it's as, as memorable or as enjoyable as some of the ones in Right on the Money Penny. So I'll knock that down a peg. Uh, uh, if yeah. it were up to me, I'd, b- I'd bump it up a peg. But I honestly can't defend it that that strongly. I just like the love, yeah. the love story in the Greek setting. It, it's, a, it, it's a decent spy film, but it just doesn't do enough to to push it up for me. Yeah. And, and, and we definitely noticed, um, uh, cause Moore did a lot of films. He did eight Bond films. So as time went on, he started to get a little slower, a little bit, you know, he, he was still a really good looking guy and everything like that, but it was a little bit like he was losing the energy. He was getting a little tired. So, yeah. Um, next one is Octo Kitty, Octo Kitty. <laughs> I was going to say Octo Kitty, <laughs> which I, don't even remember anything about that one <laughs> other than the fact that everything that the la- that oh. the lady said was like sexually charged <laughs> it's like everything at it was a double entendre or you know hitting on him or whatever but uh yeah let's see so i'm gonna get soviet general means to detonate a nuclear bomb at a circus show on a nato base leading to unilateral unilateral western disarmament and leaving the West defenseless against the Warsaw Pact countries. Okay, a lot going on. All I remember is Roger Moore hanging out with a lot of hot chicks. That's all I remember <laughs> that movie. <laughs> you could say he hung out with eight different hot chicks. Oh, eight, yeah. Eight, maybe particular body parts of these eight particular hot chicks. Okay, a movie called Octopussy, and there's only two shags. Come on, what are you guys doing? <laughs> it's like you're trying not to do it. The poster's ridiculous. Zoom in on the poster. On the poster. Yeah, let me pull up this poster. This poster is uh, is wild. Like, look at that. That's, I mean, classic, classic. Uh, you know, got the accent lighting and everything like that. But yeah, it's 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 a bit wild. It's got the Faberge egg. Got the you know button on his thing. A hand on the buttons. Hand on the gun. Martini touching his ear, knife, and hands also like adjusting his tie and stuff. So like a lot of thought goes into it. Oh, was this the one? So, there, there was. It was this the one that had the really cool airplane at the beginning. There was one movie that had a really cool airplane scene at the beginning. Was this it? I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I do know this is the Fabergé egg one, and this whole yeah. thing is like the whole Fabergé egg plot. Um, 
or starts off with like a Fabergé egg and then it leads into like another nuclear bomb NATO base plot. Um, yeah. Here's some trivia. So an octopusy is actually a pair of eights in poker, which is where oh. the name comes from. So it isn't like that, that bad. No. It's just, it definitely is playing no. on the double meaning there. Yeah. Yeah. But which, uh, I, which I actually did not know that. But again, we have a theme song, All Time High by Rita Coolridge. I wonder why they don't have a theme song called Octopussy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to just take like a Goldfinger song, just like Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> just like now, replace the words. <laughs> pizza, I agree with you. Uh, it is ob- objectively the best movie title of them all. As a film, I don't know. It's It's been a while. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I'm just not... There's just so little that stands out to me in my mind. I know he goes to India, but just comparatively, it's, it's not there. There was one movie, uh, I can't for the life of me remember which one it was, but uh, it starts out with, um, I think it was Roger Moore, maybe it was one of the others, but um, he starts out in like the, an airplane and it's like crashing, and that particular set, uh, you know, set piece was actually quite entertaining. I think he like, I don't know if he's like phoning money penny at the time. Uh, it's it's pretty vague, but uh, I thought that might have been that one since it has it on the cover. But who knows? It might be maybe it was Moonraker. I don't know. But uh, no, I think it was Moonraker because that's when Jaws throws him out of the airplane. Uh, that could that could be it? Yeah. Right. This yeah. one it starts off with the whole Fabergé egg plot. Yeah. Right, and then there's like the whole circus. Yeah, despite like all the big things that are happening, I remember this one had a very felt like a very small scale. It felt didn't feel like the stakes were all that high despite the well, stakes being high. Well, eventually, yeah, like it starts off that small and then you have that rogue Soviet general and he's going to, you know, kind of drop he's going to like drop like nuke the NATO bases and let the Warsaw Pact just kind of uh, countries just roll over them. Yeah. I do remember that much. But like yeah, it's just I don't have I don't have much of a memory of this one and I know I've seen it. It's just been eons since I've I've seen it. Yeah, it 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 has it suffers the uh the problem of just not not having many standout factors of it. So yeah, and I will say this. So now uh, a little bit of casting. So by this point, Roger Moore actually wanted to retire from doing Bond movies. Yeah, he actually did. His contract had been for three films. After he finished The Spy Who Loved Me, he finished it, and then every other film was a film by film. Uh, every other film he did was a film by film basis. So yeah. they didn't he was reluctant to come back and do the role. So they started testing some other actors. Timothy Dalton was brought up again as a replacement. OK, so initially, Timothy Dalton was. Eh, yeah, you're right. Has been. It's been eons. Well done. <laughs> I've seen this movie. Um, so after Sean Connery retired, Timothy Dalton was one of the first actors they went to. And Timothy Dalton said, no, I'm too young to do it. So Roger Moore's thinking about retiring. They go back to Timothy Dalton. He says, no, I can't do it. I think he, I think he had a filming commitment, something. Um, so they did screen tests. And one of the actors that they actually did a screen test with was James Brolin. He would have been, uh, I mean, he's not English, but he probably would fit the bill decently. I think. Yeah. 
if I'm not mistaken, this was also around the same time when they're, when was the Sam Neill screen test? It's like 80, 84, 86, 84, 86. 86. Okay. Yeah. So it was after this. Okay. So it was after this, but Sam Neill was also cast. That's later on though. Yeah. Anyway, so producers eventually wore him down and brought Roger Moore back. Yeah. Um, I, I get the, the Roger Moore thing sounds a lot like what I, I feel Daniel Craig's in right now, where he's just like, he only signed, really wanted to do like a couple, a few, but he just kind of keeps on coming back because it's a great paycheck. Yeah. yeah. And reportedly, James Brolin, he was re- ready to move to London to do the role. So I don't know how you do the accent. You have to have the accent, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, if you look on YouTube, there's a screen test with uh, Sam Neill um, and James Bond, and he actually looks pretty good. I, I, I totally watch a, a few movies of would, Sam Neill as uh, James I Bond. Would. I would have loved Sam Neill, James Bond. Yeah. It was great. So here's something else. So uh, it is the only Bond film omitted from Film Hardy's science fiction magazine explicitly because it is non-science fiction. Octopussy. Everything else has enough uh, has enough with the gadgets and all the plot plot lines to be science fiction, except for this one. Science fiction. Interesting. I guess just because yeah. like tech gadgets and stuff like that. Ooh, that's really yeah. low. that's really zoomed in, but this is a really low res rip of the um, uh, Sam Neill uh, James Bond screen test. So I think he could pull it off. He's got the kind of clean cut, you know, thing going yeah. on, and and he's yeah. But uh, who so, knows? Yeah. So I'll be honest. I think this is a Doctor Nope because there's just so little to talk about here, and what there is here, the plot's just kind of like eh. yeah. It's, it's just it, 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 its biggest crime is just not being very memorable. Um, just a very kind of forgettable movie. Nothing to really stand out. Like better to stand out with with the you know really uh, like it's not as I don't think it's as a, a offensive uh, you know to me as Live and Let Die, but Live and Let Die was a lot more interesting <laughs> at least. So it kind of it unfortunately kind of its biggest crime is just not being very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the final. Roger Moore movie. It's yeah, like, by this time twisted he twisted his arm once more. By this time he'd been doing Bond since gosh, uh, seventy one. No, 70, uh, seventy seventy three was his first one. Seventy three. So good. Uh, I guess it's only been like uh, about twelve years, but that, it's yeah. definitely quite a quite a run for James Bond. Um, this one I'm not a fan of. You do kill. Not so much of a fan of. Um. Definitely has a. Uh, I mean, it's got it's got Max Zorin, you know, Christopher Walken. He, he was a pretty good villain, from what I remember. Uh, Mayday yes. was very memorable. Uh, we all remember Mayday, um, played by Grace Jones, very very striking individual. Yep. But I just remember. Oh, Tanya Roberts was the Bond girl. I remember her. Yeah, she, I remember she was in like um, she in Beastmaster, a couple other things. I don't remember, but uh, she... some some decent Whoa. casting. Uh, she was in Beastmaster. You were right. She was Kiri. Yeah, I had to look that up. But yeah, she was. Yeah. Um. So, not not it's it's kind of one of those movies that just had a lot of. Oh, apparently David Bowie was set to uh, be Max Zorn, but I think he turned it down. That would have been interesting. But, okay. Uh, well, first of all, a David Bowie Max Zorn would have been awesome. Like I think I, that would have been great. David Bowie's actually a great actor. Just don't watch Men Who Fell to Earth, because that's a terrible movie. Um, oh, oh, no, who Tanya <laughs> Roberts is? I just realized this. She played um, uh, Donna's mom in the 70s show. 
that 70s show. Oh, I never watched that show, but I'll take your word for it. I almost want to say she was in V, the original 80s series, too, but I could be completely wrong about that. I, that I don't know about. Yeah. Um, I definitely I definitely remember her from Beastmaster. Yeah. All right. So, View to a Kill. I have several things to say about this movie. First of all, <laughs> Duran Duran did the theme song, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I liked it. Um, the plot is, at the time, silly, but... If you look at it from a 2020 perspective, it is probably the most relatable thing that I can probably say. So Max Zorin wants to destroy Silicon Valley in a man-made earthquake, and that way he can get a monopoly on the microchip market. So it's so insane. He just has these stupid machines that can create these earthquakes, and he plans to level Silicon Valley. Just... (laughs) And then he'll rise from the ashes and like, oh, it's what? What? So, so very stupid, evil plot, but definitely, um, it definitely spot on toward like the trend of the time, which was technology and computers and chips and yeah. things like that. But like, just a very, very over the top plot to to accomplish yeah. that. Like, like stupidly over the plot, over the top. Now, I, I really like some of the gadgets, like the credit card lockpick was awesome. Yeah, that was And fun. the ring camera is, like, really striking to some of the tech we have these days. But, like, it was just so ridiculous. And then you have that final scene with the Golden Gate Bridge, like, with the fight right on top of it. You yeah. know? It was a little, just, little bit too yeah. over the top, a little bit... um you know, Roger was not really into it anymore. Um, it was just, it, it, that was definitely when I was feeling the, the, the more uh, fatigue. I was like, okay, we kind of need something new. We need something fresh here. Yeah. So yeah, not, not the greatest. Um, some striking characters like Mayday is kind of a classic character just because of how, uh, you know, memorable and striking she was. It was very visually yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mayday, um, Mayday was awesome. I think Mayday is probably the most redeeming thing about this movie. Um, and I do really like Christopher Walken as Magazorn, but like, holy hell, was this just all over the place? Um, just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, um, I actually want to say, is this the first time there's been a female henchman? Probably. Um, no, because didn't 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 uh, Kitty Galore count as the female henchman in Goldfinger? Because she was working for Goldfinger in the beginning she of the movie. She wasn't a henchman though. Um, she was more just a. Let me see what they what they consider the henchman was for Goldfinger here. Um, well, okay, she was a henchwoman. She was the Bond girl. She was like the turncoat Bond girl that happened to be working for the bad guy, but then turned to Bond and everything like that. Odd job was the henchman. Okay, okay, okay. But then I do know that you had number in You Only Lived Twice, Helga Brandt. So she was working for, for Spectre. Uh okay. Well, she's one of three considered three of the henchmen. So I guess she wasn't the first. Definitely one of the most memorable uh henchmen that and yeah. uh you know just at how how she was she was intimidating too. Mayday was. So, Very, you know, that that, that yeah, was May- the, that Mayday was, was absolutely wonderful, but just yeah, everything everything about View to a Kill is just so underwhelming but over the top at the same time. You know what I mean? Like it was the plot is ridiculous. The set pieces are ridiculous. Everything's over the top. Everything's it's like eighties and high, uh, and high, uh, high stakes and high octane and, and this and that. And then just, just, there's no payoff. 
Yeah, it's, it's 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 that suspension, uh, ironically, suspension bridge, suspension of disbelief, where you know the stakes and the the plots get so crazy, and the characters and the drama get so loose and disconnected that you just kind of lose interest altogether. You know, like like when you, it's a bit more grounded or you have a bit more of a practical a practical plot or whatever, um, you get more engaged. But this is just like we're doing we're doing earthquakes, you know. Yeah. I want to level uh, Silicon Valley with with man-made earthquakes, so that uh, people will buy my microchip. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, yeah, just not a fan of this one. Not a fan. Like uh, this is one of the movies I have not seen recently, and I think that speaks volumes about what I think of it. Is I haven't gone back and revisited this one with yeah. the frequency that I revisit some of the other movies so yeah like yeah. like if you said oh movie night we're gonna watch goldfinger but like i'm there Mo- movie yeah, night we're movie watching night, like, let's watch a view to a kill it's like, like eh, yeah, I'll, I'll skip uh, i'll skip it you know <laughs> I'll, I'll watch I might rewatch this i might rewatch <laughs> this soon just so i can kind of refresh my memory of it and see if like my memories of it hold up but i don't think it's gonna change my mind and i don't think i'm gonna find it as redeeming yeah, what we'll have to do sometime is I'll, I'll, I'll force you to watch uh, what I consider the most underrated film that you didn't like as much, and then you have me watch what you consider the most underrated film that I didn't like so much. You, you do so. know, you do know, I'm going to force you to watch *License to Kill*, right? Uh, like that, that, that's happening, which is going. We're going to be talking about very shortly. <laughs> yeah, very shortly. So, uh, *Living Daylight*. So yeah, they got they finally got Timothy Dalton. He'd been like a. Uh, a James Bond probable for a long oh, wait, time. Wait, wait, wait. Where do we rank it? Where do we put View to a Kill? Oh, I, I it's so forgettable that I forgot to rank it. Um, <laughs> uh, View to a Kill. Is it even on here? Doctor yeah. Nope or Double O Nothing? Yeah, I'm maybe. thinking one of those two. Yeah, it was not offensively bad, but it was just very bland. Very, very. I, I felt nothing at the end of it. That's that's the problem with that. Um, yeah. I, just I, like I, Renard at the end of uh, the end of the a world is not enough. I feel nothing. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, even some of those. <laughs> not to get too far ahead, uh, we do have to pick up the pace though, because it is like eleven twenty three where I am. Yeah, but we do, um, we do. Uh, yeah, we'll have plenty to talk about that. So let's let's pick up the pace. Living daylights. Yeah. We got new Bond. Timothy Dalton. Um, recently awesome watched. Bond. Uh, awesome Bond. Timothy Dalton's awesome. I liked him in this one. I did not like him in License to Kill. Uh, this one, Oof. he plays a pretty, a pretty slick Bond. I know it's a hot take, but uh, Living Daylights, like after all the Roger Moores and and everything, and he was kind of done with the the character and got kind of bo- uh, boring. I think Living Daylights is a great comfort Bond. It's just like a, a simple plot. You know, you've got some like russian you know again russian plot dealers yeah. yeah arms dealers a turncoat somebody trying to you know escape to the the west you know double crossing assassins milkmen things like that assassin mm-hmm. milkman literal thing um <laughs> uh it, but Played by like what german german supermodels or something whatever. like that yeah we're very very weird i i don't consider it the best bond but like there's even like a a, a slide where like he and the bond girl like sliding down like a a, a uh snowy slope and so it's a very yeah it's when he's very, using the cello and he's using her cello as the, <laughs> yeah a very very silly very uh it not not too it never gets too silly but it's 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 a it's a comfort it's like a roller coaster bond it's okay. like just like so, hey you enjoy bond that you get here's some bond nothing too deep just right. fun yeah. if if 
on His Majesty's Secret Service was the next movie to come off after the Roger Moore films, and then we went into the Timothy Dalton ones, I would have a much more positive opinion on On His Majesty's Secret Service. Because I feel On His Majesty's Secret Service and then the two Dalton movies make for a perfect trilogy. Yeah, and, a little a little little tough with uh like if you could if you put like Majesty's Secret Service in the middle, because uh Living Daylights is very kind of like happy semi happy go lucky despite the by, despite it's a uh its themes uh yeah. secret service uh like falls in love gets married wife gets killed follow that with license to kill all of a sudden license to kill is a much better film in my book exactly so in living daylights you have timothy Dalton play this bond who's just he's sick of it he's getting tired of the spy life he tells like his agent in the beginning stuff the orders you know i'm not going to kill this girl she's not a professional I only kill professionals. Great line. Um, and yeah, he's helping a KGB agent defect, which is part of a ruse, which then he's in bed with like arm smugglers all tied into like the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Great movie. Great movie. I love it. Um, and I love the edge that Timothy Dalton brings to the brings to the film. And I will say that John, uh, Joe Don Bar- uh, Baker, who only has like four or five scenes in this movie, as this American general who's smuggling arms, who later comes back to play Jack Wade, he is wonderful as a villain, and the standoff he has against Timothy Dalton is excellent. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's a bit of an interesting uh, twist in that it's like, yeah, you got sort of a, uh, I think, ex-military, was he ex-military or something like that? Or, so, you know, he's an American general selling weapons to yeah, a he's re- Soviet general in exchange for opium, which he then resells in the United States. So he's like, a, cor- he's like a corrupt general, so he's like using yeah. his, his position to smuggle weapons and get and exactly. get drugs and stuff. So he's a, he's a really scummy guy in a, what should be very respectable position. So he's an interesting guy, and I think they liked him so much that yeah, they brought him back for the... Uh, the golden eye uh yeah the uh remington steel what's the guy's name <laughs> <laughs> jack wade they brought him back as yeah they brought, brought him jack wade in the uh Brosnan. Oh, yeah for some reason i remembered yeah. remington steel <laughs> i've never watched the did, show yeah. <laughs> yeah um uh yeah they brought in the Brosnan films and he, he was a fun side character there he's a, but uh nothing's better than his role in uh in uh mitchell which, if you ever want to watch that film, watch the uh, Mystery Science Theater <laughs> cover of Mitchell. It's a great film. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah Living Living Daylights is like a very again one kill, one one shag, like one woman, one one death in the entire film. So it's a very low violence, no. low low uh, you know romance Marian, kind of film. Marion Dabo, though, Marion Dabo, you need one girl. Yeah, no, she's she was obviously very 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 beautiful. Um, yeah, it, it's just a it's just a feel good movie, honestly. Like, as a, a, I don't really have any problems with it. It wasn't like the deepest, you know, or anything like that. Like, you, when it when it's going on the, the the snow and going through the slide and like using the cello as a as a thing, like a little over the top. I would I would put it like probably in like the blue tier, right on the money penny. Like, not fantastic, but just a solid, just fun, fun, you know, fun. Exactly what you needed yeah. after a view to a kill. You know? Yeah, I could put that right on the money petty. It's a solid movie. It's not my favorite Dalton movie. Spoiler alert, that one's licensed to kill, but it's there. <laughs> it's there. So yeah. uh, I, I, th- I feel we're gonna go back and forth on license to kill a lot. So yeah, yeah. We do have to pick up the pace though, because we haven't gotten to the Brazen yet. So um Oof, yeah. But uh yeah, license to kill. 
I, for the longest time, that was one of my least favorite uh, Bond films. I'll tell you why. I I don't think that um, the, the the plot involves. It's actually a pretty clever plot. Like it, it's kind of I, I think it's on along the lines of like say Golden Goldfinger, which where it's a very practical evil plot. Basically, they uh they they have this special way of hiding is it co- uh crack cocaine inside of like gasoline i think it is like where they're able to fuse it into a liquid and, yep. and and transport huge amounts of drugs in gas tankers and then they're able to extract it uh, pretty much unharmed so it's like a great way to basically yep. like, like all these movies around the time were like how do you hide drugs like even cheech and chong was uh, one of the plot of that film was like making an entire car made of pot so like a lot of movies around that time were about you know disguising drugs uh in really really elaborate ways i just think that's not a good i don't think that's a good uh, james bond film he's one of his darkest moments oh see see, here's the thing this is why i disagree with you the drug smuggling thing that was peripheral peripheral to it that was just there to show you why franz sanchez was as wealthy as he was and as deadly as he was right to show you how clever of a drug dealer as he is the plot of the movie has nothing to do with drugs the plot of the movie is revenge because the opening scene, Felix Leiter finally gets married. What happens? Felix Leiter is working for the DEA. I think it's DEA. And he's hunting after this guy, Franz Sanchez. So we have this American agent going after this drug kingpin. What does this guy do? He kidnaps Felix Leiter, this agent, on his wedding night. And then he dips him into a shark tank to have his leg bitten off. Pretty rough. And murders Felix Leiter's wife. Bond can't stand this anymore. He's already reeling from just being tired of it all in the last movie. He resigns from from MI6 to go get revenge for his friend. That's what this movie is. It's not drug dealing. It's my friend was assaulted by this guy. I'm going to fucking kill him because that's what a good friend does. It's a very personal revenge film, which it's actually like this plot in like uh, uh, Death Wish would be like if you made this into a Death Wish movie. Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> yep. it's like a great death wish uh ask movie like um 80s revenge flick you know throw mel gibson or you know uh forget his name death wish guy or you know something like that in there great 80s very american film that's a, that's the thing that i, it's, I yeah. it's it's a very americanized film probably one of the most americanized bond films yeah. and yeah. I, that's why i kind of feel a little bit like a gut reaction to it um I just have to look this up. One of the gadgets is Manta Ray Disguise. <laughs> does he actually disguise himself as a Manta so, Ray? So what he does, he gets this like little carpet. So in the early game, there's this a fisher fisherman who's tied in with Sanchez, and he he's the guy who gets the shark, right? And in order to infiltrate the boat, Bond actually has this kind of tarp, I guess, which makes him look like a giant manta ray. So he can get close to the boat, and then he sheds it, and then goes up. Because if you look at it on a camera, you look like just another manta ray. It sounds silly, but it's actually, in the context of the movie, very, very clever. I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm seeing it here. You can see his legs right there. He's got flippers. He's disguised himself as a manta ray. That's the thing. Okay, I don't don't Um, remember that part, but uh, it's in there. So, other highlights of this movie. Uh, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. Solid, yeah. He's amazing. Okay. Robert Davi, he's amazing. I love the villains in this movie so much. I love them so fucking much. And then there's that other villain, and I can't remember his name, but the preacher. And yes, I see you, Crossington. Bless your heart. And they're using it as a front for the drug smuggling. He's basically a TV uh, evangelist. (laughs) Bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah, Charles oh. Bronson. Yeah, this would be a great, great Charles Bronson uh, vehicle. There's like the explosions. There's the revenge mm-hmm. plot. I just don't think it really fits the like. You know, this is all spoilers, unfortunately. But like, you know, when he when he he gets pissed, he goes rogue and punches Emma in the gut. I'm like, that's not James Bond would nod and say, you know, something quippy, and then do his own thing anyway. He wouldn't punch M in the gut. That, that was that was kind of the line I, I don't think he would have crossed. He's a little bit too smart for that. But, no, well, uh, again, this isn't spy James Bond. This is James Bond who just wants revenge. And yeah, it was played by Wayne Newton. It was Wayne Newton's character. Love him. <laughs> Part of the Sanchez cartel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think this movie is shaken, not stirred through and through. I think this is an excellent movie start to finish. It's grittier because it's not a spy flick. But if you look at it, it's so well crafted from start to finish, and just everything is is incredible for it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with the things you're praising it about. I think that they have good casting. Um, the the lead villain is like he's got a face that just screams villain. You know, the the, the pock marks and the scars and Robert Davi. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just great. <laughs> I just think the plot is not a James Bond plot. Um, so the, so like throwing Bronson or Mel Gibson or anybody else pretty much and make it into like an American revenge action plot, you know, I'd easily put it into like, you know, B, B plus uh, tier, but for James Bond, I'd, I'd put it into like Dr. Nope. So we're, we're, at, we're at an impasse Oof. here. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll cut it, cut it in the middle and put it on his majesties with like heavy protests from me. Yeah. It, it like, Properly between us two would probably be like Majesty's Plus, but unfortunately we can't do you know yeah, halfway. Yeah. So I yeah. know I know you really like it. I I just I had a particularly uh you know gut reaction to it when I watched That's it because like, this is not a James Bond film. Like again, everything else you know, like I said, I swear to God, there's one of the I saw a movie with Charles Bronson with a very very similar plot where he was blowing up like gas tankers, and I'm like that's that's what it should have been. It should have been a Bronson movie. <laughs> it was a Bronson movie about like, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. j- driven too far or something like that, you know, starring Charles, Charles Bronson, 1989. I'd watch it. Great. Great movie. Yeah. You know what? And I can get that as a, like a generic action movie. It works a lot better rather yeah. than a Bond movie, but I don't know, man. I think, I think as a follow-up to, um, living daylights, I think it's, it's great. Let, like, maybe, maybe I'm just biased cause I love Timothy Dalton, but I thought this movie was, was awesome. Like imagine I guess for, a side quest style, let's call it like the way, what we said before, like almost alternate history, because like, imagine after all of that, all of his antics, how the hell would he get his job back? <laughs> he just, he well, just slugged him in the face and like broke out of like MI six or whatever. And yeah, no, it would it, be a tough, it'd be a tough one to repair that, that plot line. Well, it's a good thing that we have a new M. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, movie. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Probably the single, probably biggest paradigm shift in the in the whole series was when they have rebooted. Um, it's been, I think, I don't. This is this feels like a like an official like new canon reboot almost. Like I, I don't know if it, it don't. I don't think it really. Um, so, it feels. So. Go ahead. It's a continuation. Just yeah. to kind of sorry to cut you off, but I know what you're saying. But it's a continuation, but they do it in the smartest way. Yeah. So they have a new M and they have Pierce Brosnan play James Bond and they act as though nothing's changed. But then they have that one scene right in the beginning where they have the 
encounter between uh, Dame Judy Dench and Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. And she basically says, you don't like me because I'm a bean counter. You know, I'm a pencil pusher. He's like, yeah, that's about right. Well, I think you're a dinosaur. You're stuck in the Cold War and you're not getting along with the times. Yeah. So they're casting Bond as this throwover from the Cold War. Well, the Cold War is done, right? Where this is a new era. We have new things to worry about. And we have a new M who is brought up, but she's like this office administrator. She's not of that relic of the Cold War. So yeah. they do that to kind of create the new paradigm for Bond. And I think it's the it's the they do it in the best way. Yeah, it, this this begins a trend and it's not so bad yet, but it begins a trend where the writers really, really start railing into James Bond as a character. They start criticizing James Bond as a character, like repeatedly throughout his movies. They do that a lot in uh in like uh skyfall especially and and some other yeah. films as well um yeah. and here here like m stripe calls him a sexist and everything like that yeah. uh, and and it's like yeah you know fair point but it, it, it definitely it definitely approaches the the 1960s james bond character from a 1995 perspective you know it's it's, yeah. a, it's a very much a modern approach you know they, yeah. they're definitely tackling these things that being said, Goldeneye is a fucking amazing film. It's uh, amazing. Oh yeah. no! Like th- this is easily one of my favorite Bond movies, and I'm not even purely to, like talking from a nostalgia point of view. I mean, like this is probably I think one of the strongest movies yeah. in the entire like filmography. You have just such a great loaded cast of characters. As far as a reboot goes, I think they done they've done everything they needed to do in order to bring in this new Bond in this new era. Um, they have the theme song sung by Tina Turner, which is incredible. <laughs> and I yeah. may not like you too, but they did a damn good job writing the song. I'll say that much. And uh, it was written by by Bono and the Edge from U2. So it's like U2, Tina Turner collaboration. Really, really baller song. Really great. One of the best openings, I think. The animations of the openings were like, the, I think the the you got the people like pickaxes and the Cold War imagery and stuff. Really, really solid, yeah. solid yeah. tone setter. And like, I think it's one of the few ones that had like a an excellent cold, cold open with the bungee jump scene. Like oh, that yeah. was that right was just a, facility. Yeah. yeah, that was like, and you could tell almost all that was practical, like probably stunt work or whatever. But sure. there's something gritty. There's something amazingly gritty about um, this film where almost everything seemed really practical. Occasionally, you'll see like a a uh, you know a composite effect or whatever, but that was seemed to be completely real. There was a a man who jumped off the <laughs> off of like a, a dam. It, you know, with the bungee rope. Yeah, uh, exactly. And yeah. can we talk about like how strong the supporting cast is too? Between oh, yeah. like, Robbie Colcrane uh playing um not Pushkin. Um Oh, what the hell's his name? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Well, Pushkin was the was the general. Pushkin. Pushkin was the general who was killed by Oromov during the questioning scene. He was good too, like for the couple scenes he was there. Yeah, he uh, he played like the he played like the mob boss, right? Valentin uh, Zukowski. Zukowski, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. He, the the former KGB agent turned mob boss with the limp. Yeah, and then he has a caviar factory later on. <laughs> yeah, like every character had like a whole you, 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 unspoken backstory. Um, well, one of the great one of the great things, uh, and this is a bit of a universe expanding. We see another double O agent. I think one for maybe the first time in the series, or no, no, in the Living Daylights, there's an opening scene where there's this training section, and they're training multiple right, and a couple uh, of them die, yeah. agents, and then they're being assassinated, and then that's when they do that face reveal to like, hey, it's Timothy Dalton. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but we've seen 
this is the first time we see them in like a, a truly like impressive capacity where they're raiding a base um it's also just a, has a really epic story because I, I think the the beginning starts in the past with like before the cold war ended um mm-hmm. if i'm correct they're they're raiding a a uh a, a you know soviet base uh it's james bond 007 and uh uh Treve, Trevea, Treve, trevelyan trevelyan, trevelyan. Uh, Sean Bean's character, uh, Alex Trevelyan. Um, Alec. Alec Alec, Alec. Alec. Yeah, Alec Trevelyan. Yeah. And uh, 006, I want to say. 006? 006, yeah, yeah. That's right. And you see like these two badass double O agents working together. And that's a really interesting kind of universe building. We never really saw that before. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, the, something goes wrong and there's like a moral quandary, like the mission or the humans. Bond chooses the mission, you know? Yeah. At the yeah. cost, of, at the cost of his other agent, because the mission is the most important, unfortunately, and that's 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 something that that's a, a really strong theme that later be- sparks the entire story later. Because then we fast forward to modern day. We don't know. It was like ten, twenty years, something like that, and we see a post. You know, we see post uh, Soviet Russia when there's just like the kind of the, there's a, the lingering shadow of the of the uh, USSR throughout the whole movie, which I really love that setting where it's yeah. like they're no longer the Soviets, but there's that deep-seated you know uh there's that holdover it's, yeah yeah that holdover of that soviet era yeah every... so, yeah i think we're both in agreement this, this movie's golden yeah golden absolutely um if i had to pick probably my favorite bond movie just because it was just so iconic and it also spawned one of the best if not the best you know james bond games of all time and and yeah it, it ticks off all the boxes of like like this is how you reboot something you take the spirit of the original you refresh it, uh, you know, you reimagine some things, you add some twists, you change a couple of characters um, while still keeping the basic spirit of it. And uh, also want to talk about the soundtrack a little bit, how they took the iconic James Bond soundtrack, but added that cold, echoey electronic cover where it's like, you know, yeah. everything's got the kind of strong, echoey sort of sound, which is, uh, yeah, it takes the original soundtrack. More ambient. But, yeah, more ambient. And, uh, you know, still still holds up today too which is impressive oh yeah absolutely absolutely um, probably one of the best bond villains too never dies, quite as good. <laughs> no no but uh i want to say probably my favorite bond villain as well because there's just so many more layers to it because it's a former friend former colleague and the kind of betrayal aspect and, and the fact that he's a he's mm-hmm. two double o agents f- facing off against each other and the whole twist, you know, that uh, effect there. They're like, it was, it was definitely a, an interesting way of doing a villain. And I, I think that, you know, also one of my favorite Sean Bean roles as well, right up there with Bormir. Or mm-hmm. sort of, uh, yeah, Bormir. Yeah, Bormir. Yeah, Bormir. Yeah, but, you said it right. Anyway, I was trying to transition into the next one. Yeah. And I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. But, 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 but yeah, I wanna... unfortunately, oh, never dies. <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I, that's a movie that I actually want to watch again. Oh, damn. Goldeneye, 25 kills. Most deadly uh, Bond film yet. That's a lot of kills. Yeah. He kicks the mess in that Unfortunately, movie. Tomorrow Never Dies is stuck with 23. Yeah. So not quite. So Tomorrow Never Dies, I actually really like uh, Michelle Yeoh in this. I think she was one of the better Bond, she girl, awesome. Bond girls. She was like, actually could kick ass. And I loved her yeah. in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So that's kind of like another... Um, that was a few years later, but that was uh, another great role from her. But um, 
I love Michelle Yellow, period. She's great. Yeah. Now I, I want to watch it again because I the villain I like Jonathan Price and a lot of stuff. Uh the villain's mm-hmm. plot is very interesting. It, it's about like media manipulation and stuff like that. Like that it, so it, it, it's yeah. that that part is good. That part is good, the whole media manipulation thing, but then Mm -hmm. it culminates into, like, the stealth ship being stolen with missiles, and then he's basically trying to eliminate Chinese leadership so that he can have exclusive broadcasting rights. It's like, I mean, yeah, real world. (laughs) Crossington, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Age like wine. So it's not necessarily a good film, but it's an incredibly relevant film. Like, it actually tapped. Yeah, it's relevant. Yeah. So, like, it, it may not be as entertaining as it is just like a, it definitely had its finger on the pulse of society. Um, I'd like to watch it again to see if I, 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 I was, what, probably 13 when that came out. So maybe I'd get a little bit more out of it when uh, watching again when I'm a little bit older and I kind of understand a little bit more about media, media, media manipulation and stuff like that. But, yeah, so yeah, like like you said, it has a finger on the pulse, and everything it talks about is more relevant now than ever before. Yeah, I just don't think it's that strong of a Bond movie because, as competent as it is, it's just it's middling. It's very very middling. It doesn't do anything to really push the envelope or stand out, aside from the presence of Pierce Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh, right, and Jonathan Price to a point. Um. And also, I did like the woman who played Jonathan Price's wife, who was like an ex of Brosnan's, that little love triangle thing. Um, but it had one of the most forgettable henchmen. I had to look up a picture of this guy because his name is Stamper. I'm like, who, who is this guy? I don't remember him. He's... Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a, not the best outing, not terrible, definitely watchable, but yeah, there's a disconnect definitely between the media stuff and like them stolen missiles. And I, I don't even remember the last act of the film, but I, I did like Michelle. They're Yeoh. on the stealth boat. There's a shootout. Yeah. yeah. There's something in the water with Michelle. Yeoh. I remember that, but, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Not the strongest, not the strongest, but definitely, uh, it's a part of product of his time, but like a lot of movies around the nineties definitely tapped into something that's very relevant now. So yeah. respectable for that. Uh, oh, serviceable. serviceable. Yeah. Not, serviceable. not the greatest. Serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. That tomorrow never dies. So we're getting a definite heavy middle here, but I guess that's to be expected. Uh, now world is not enough. Okay. <laughs> So there's, there's like I, a, okay. I'll I'll come out, I'll come on right say it. I like this movie a lot. I liked it a lot. Interesting. Yeah. I I I like the fact that that it doesn't play the 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 standard Bond rules are not clear at the beginning. Yeah. Like what you yeah. think is the love interest is actually the villain. You know. Yeah. And it's the first female villain in the series. Yeah. Like it definitely plays with your expectations, so. but it but it's it's set up in a way that that it's not just like, you know, pulling the rug on from under you suddenly kind of like a, a certain star Wars film. Um, but yeah, yeah I was going to say it's basically it's <laughs> the last Jedi of the Bond films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Denise research research, Denise Richards at her prime was gorgeous, but she's Richards. a terrible actress. 
Um, I didn't believe she her for a second. Fine in here. She was okay, but I didn't she believe her okay. for a second as like a nuclear physicist or whatever she was. Like uh, that was no. that was a far no, that was far fetched. No. I believed uh, a little What's her name in the Saint as being Sophie Marceau? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, Sophie Marceau was fine in this. Um, but I believed uh, what's her name in She's the Saint cool. as like a the inventor of cold fusion much better than. Uh, Denise Richards as Dr. Christmas Jones, like some, she's like a Such nuclear a scientist name. or something like that. Isn't she? <laughs> and you Such know, a dumb name. And they, like, they, like, the, like, sorry, go on. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you were talking. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Christmas Jones was written for the only sole reason to have that joke at the end. You remember the joke? Oh, yeah. I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. Yeah. Something like that, or Christmas twice a year, one of those two. I forget what it was. It was Christmas in Turkey. I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey because they ended in Istanbul. The plot was the poisoning of the Caspian. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty dumb. But um, I I think that well, they... okay. The final plot. The final plot was kind of dumb because it's like, oh, I'm going to you know get a monopoly on oil from the Caspian Sea with my new like oil pipeline, which is pretty relevant when you think about it. When you're talking yeah, about oil sure. supplies, you control oil supplies and flows from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. It gives you. But it's built up to that point because she's also using the terrorist Renard, who I think is a really interesting villain, even though he's kind of like the henchman in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He's super interesting because you have this terrorist who is part of like this revolutionary group and is slowly going to die because of the bullet that's in his head and it's slowly moving closer and closer to his brain. He ends up kidnapping her and she gets Stockholm Syndrome. And that's the plot. And I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty interesting setup. And so they assassinate her father so she can inherit his fortune. Um, and I then, thought that was awesome, actually. Yeah, and then you find out that she's actually kind of pulling the strings at the end. Like, she's actually more of... Yeah. He's actually doing it because she, he fell in love with her. And, yeah, so it's a lot of layers, and it, people aren't what they seem at the beginning. So from that aspect, it's actually a pretty clever, pretty cleverly written. It's it's definitely uh, rebukes some of the, the typical, like... Usually you can go into it and it's like, okay, that's the lead love interest. She's going to die first and then he's going to fall in love with her. That's the villain. That's the henchman. There you go. Um, yeah. But this one actually kind of really twisted around. And I remember that plot of the, the bullet in the brain. That was actually really interesting. And that's, he couldn't feel pain, right? That was the, the twi- or yeah. was that yeah, his yeah. thing? Yeah, his nerve, like it completely eliminated the nerve center in his brain or something. So he was immune to any sort of pain. Yeah, which, um, Sounds like a bit like a superhero thing, but you know, you know how much you could, what you could do if you didn't have a pain reflex. Like you could do some crazy stuff with yeah. your body. I'm sure. Yeah, you're basically permanently on PCP. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this one had the the BMW with the with the surface to air missiles. That was pretty awesome. Some of the yeah. gadgets were pretty yeah. cool. That was cool. Um, so and yeah. Valentin Zakovsky came back before he was killed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the 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 kind of twists, the the twists and turns, the unclear roles that people play, you know, despite Denise Richards playing a nuclear physicist, um, which is completely unbelievable. Completely unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Sophie Marceau. Oh, 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 and, and and sorry, one the iconic scene when he's in the casino and he has the glasses on and they're the X-ray specs and he's just looking under everybody's suits and they're all like strapped <laughs> to the teeth. Yeah. Like it's a European casino and it's like, you know, a, a school in Florida or something. And, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> and we wear our guns. It, it open carry. We are guns on the outside. No. Um, 
Uh, yeah, this is this is definitely <laughs> this is definitely a Bond film carried by the villains. The villains are really solid in this one. Yeah. Uh, their stories and yeah. the plots and the twists and stuff like that. Also, I love the theme song. I'm I was a huge gar- garbage fan. Um, growing up, and this is like a really really listenable theme song. Um, the world is not enough by Garbage. Um, so that that always not puts yeah. other pegs. So actually, you no know, talking about it more, I actually think this one was pretty solid. Definitely not in Goldeneye uh, territory, but no. Uh, do you think for it's me, good enough for, for Shaken Shake Not Stirred? Really? Oh yeah. yeah. For me, I, I think this movie is excellent. It's thoroughly enjoyable. I'm not a huge fan of Garbage, but I do love the theme song and the opening yeah. sequence. Fantastic. I will I will defend this movie thoroughly. I quite like this one. Yeah, this one was definitely uh the 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 world plot wasn't as i mean oil is always relevant always been relevant for like 50 years but yeah. 50 70 years whatever not quite as uh, as like relevant and interesting as uh tomorrow never dies but definitely a better executed movie more interesting villains yeah. and things like that so yeah sure. yeah talking through it i definitely mm-hmm. remember a lot of things i liked about it okay now die another day um oof this, this this one is uh this one goes Awful. this one kind of goes off the cliff just like the uh later roger moore movies went this is basically this is this is brosnan's moonraker this is brosnan's moonraker no but... no 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 see moonraker was redeemable <laughs> moonraker was entertaining this is fucking diamonds are forever for brosnan i hate this movie uh, it's not a good movie. i despise it's the, terrible the, the the things i like about the movie Ice Castle, kind of cool. Um, I, 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 I really like Rosamund, uh, R- Rosamund Pike, her name? Was that, was it Rosamund? Or am I getting people mixed up? The, uh, or who? She's one of the, uh, Rosamund Pike dying of the day. Yeah, yeah, she was in there. She was, uh, okay. the, the non-Halle Berry, um, Love, she, uh, love and trust. She, yeah, she's Frost. She was Frost in this. Right, um, right, 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 right. Um, I liked her in this. Um, uh, Toby Steffens. I didn't really know who he was at the time, but if you ever watch Black Sails, he's an awesome actor. I love him. Uh, I, think, I, I, I saw a little bit of Black Sails. That was fun. That yeah, was he's fun. he's really good in that. Um, he's very dislikable in this. Uh, but this also doesn't this have that really, really, really good sword fighting scene. Like one of the best sorting fighting scenes. It does. It does. Like right yeah. in the beginning with Madonna, and they're fighting over Madonna or something like something like that. Theme song. But but uh, yeah. like like um, it, like he like they okay. smash things, yeah, knock on. things over. Like really really like physical uh, sword fight scene. Aggressive. Yeah, very aggressive, very well choreographed, yeah. and everything like that. Right. So it's got some good things. Let me lay out. <laughs> let me lay out like some of the key points of why this movie's fucking awful. Yeah. First of all, first of all. I understand that, and I say this thoroughly, I love John Cleese, and I think that he was a good replacement, but this is also the first movie where Q is gone, because the actor Desmond, I um, can't remember his name, last name now, he unfortunately passed away when they were doing The World's Not Enough. Yeah, that was sad. As much as I really like R, I think that John Cleese kind of chews up the scenery a little bit in his scenes when he's interacting with Brosnan with the whole gadgets thing. Because John Cleese goes into John Cleese mode where he kind of plays it up a little bit. And rather than being a straight man to John, uh, to Bond's smug jokes, yeah. he just kind of, you know, he's, he's playing a role. It doesn't come off quite as good. Since we're talking about that, the fucking invisible car. The invisible car was it super is the, cool. 
It is no, it is the uh, it, it transcended the believability of Bond gadgets to just you like think so? it is so stupid. Yes, it's so stupid. I hated it. I hated this stupid invisibility cloak bullshit they put in the car. It was just so so dumb. Even for a spy movie where you have gadgets <laughs> that seem somewhat believable, you're telling me that a government has access to literal light reflect refracting technology. And they're going to put it on an Aston Martin rather than militarize it or keep it as his guards. Somebody, all they have to do is steal the damn thing and you can reverse engineer it. it is, and what it, ugh, and it just doesn't play a big role in the movie either. He hides in it and flips on the invisibility. I, and I thought the I way hate that this thing, I, I thought the special effects was really well done. It, I kind of got the idea the that, effort, yeah. yeah, I got the idea that um, what it had is it basically had optical sensors on one side. Uh, they basically like panels yeah. on one side and, op- and and cameras on the other, so it, like would take a picture of of west side and portray and project it on east side, vice versa. So yeah. it had that very like l- rough look around it, like it would be very just it would like you said but it, it refract it stuff it, like it, that. It didn't look rough. It was like a sheen. It was like it was like anime future tech in the movie. It was so unbelievable. I, 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 I think distinctly he said that to the lazy eye. It was nearly invisible. Um, let, let, let's see, invisible is Aston Martin. Let me see if I can find a photo of it. But all right, well, while you do that, I'm going to keep ranting of a bunch sure. I hate the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, the theme song was terrible. Um, I like some of Madonna's '80s stuff. This song is not one of the things that I like. Her this theme song was awful, awful theme song. And let me talk about the moronic plot. So you have the son of a general from North Korea who undergoes plastic surgery to become an Englishman who then infiltrates it on behalf of North Korea so that he can, uh, what was it, to get North Korea to go through the demilitarized zone? And, oh no, it was the satellite system that can provide year-long sunshine to grow crops or destroy the minefields of the demilitarized zone, so that way North Korea can invade South Korea. So at the end, you have this big reveal of Toby Stevens going up to this this Korean general saying, don't you recognize me, father? No! No, of course he doesn't, because you've completely changed your ethnicity from a Korean man into a white man. Why would he recognize you? That is so I didn't remember that. Stupid. That's pretty stupid. Yeah, it was the dumb... We're gonna yeah. have year-long sunshine to grow our crops and get rid of the minefields, the demilitarized zone. That they can evade. Invade. Ugh! Oh, this movie's so dumb. Yeah, um, a couple of gadgets were kind of fun. Uh, the car has sort of a distortion effect. It's it's a yeah. way too accurate for to be considered anything but science fiction. But yeah, um, but but I didn't remember the whole Korean thing. I thought the um, sword fight was good. The sword whole la- the whole laser uh, chase through the glaciers that was pretty over the top and silly. And like there was surfing or something as well. Really dumb. Like third act was was absolutely just yeah. Ridiculous. But see, this is what I'm talking about. See, see how shiny and and like uh, gleaming it is. It just it feels so over the top for me, and not yeah. in a way like where it's like in Moonraker where it was campy, but at least it was still somewhat uh, bound together by an internal logic. This just kind of like let's throw everything at the movie and see what sticks. Yeah, this is definitely over the top kind of craziness. Um, I. So some some good images. Um, ooh, let me see. 
some good images and stuff like that. But yeah, overall, not not the greatest film. Not not even probably the worst Brosnan film by a a good yeah. a good margin. The plot was ridiculous. A couple of the settings and stuff like that were cool. Like I I like the idea of having like a livable ice castle, you know. But which like, doesn't it, exist actually. <laughs> it it it, it, it yeah, does. It does not exist. Tourists actually went to the Iceland location hoping that they could stay at the ice hotel, but it doesn't exist. Yeah, I thought they've made some ice structures, but um, yeah, it, it, it was pretty far-fetched, especially the laser. I I believe there was a shot it's imprinted in my mind, because I saw this in the theaters. Uh, die another day. A day. Honestly, I didn't like Holly Berry in this either. Uh, I was, uh, they were going to do a sp- they're talking about doing a spin-off sh- spin-off wow. series with her. She was uh, she wasn't very good in that. Um she was just I Halle, like Berry. Halle Berry, but like she she just seems to be like hit or miss, you know? Like like half yeah. her movies are great, half of them are just like terrible, like, you know, notwithstanding Catwoman, which, you know, she at least had the decency to uh to t- uh, to get her golden raspberry herself but yeah, yeah she got it herself and she made fun of the movie like that was like yeah th- i liked her in that part but um yeah this this was the famous uh as like the uh, glaciers are being melted i believe this is while the glaciers are being melted by laser beams from the sky he's like surfing down like melted glacier while escaping and yeah it's um, I remember my step, my step, uh, grandmother saw and she's like, this is over the top. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's a good, good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, so ridiculous. a bit crazy, but, um, yeah, so definitely Brosnan's weakest one, um, and probably caused him to leave, I'm guessing too. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it caused him to leave or if it was just his contract ran out or I can look into that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. Um, then because day, then we do have a massive gap. Well, not a massive, but a pretty big gap between the next movie. Yeah, it was a it was a one of the biggest gaps actually since the film started. Um, what, what do you think in Doctor Nope or Double O Nothing for Dying of the Day? Double O Nothing, Double O Nothing. I fucking hate this movie. Like it's got some really bad bad things, but I did like a couple of the fights. Mm. I don't if know. You if you want to put it up there, that's fine. I do not care for it so yeah there's a couple of films there's another one coming up here where i'm like oh it's just it's just on that line there i can't decide i'll say double nothing for now but i we could we could put it higher it's a shame because that that sword fight is actually awesome in a better movie that'd be a fantastic fantastic action scene but yeah uh so basically from what it well, he it was fired after this movie Oh, he was pro- approaching his 50th birthday. He kept in mind that fans and critics were very unhappy with Roger Moore playing the role until until he was 58. He was 58 when he did that last. Yeah, movie. he was definitely. Um, the prime. But he he was enthusiastic for because he was getting a lot of popular support. Uh, he considered himself, but in 2004, he just considered himself dismissed from the role. Mm, he said in an interview that basically he was fired. Uh, saying that uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson were on the line on the phone. They're like, we're, we're so sorry. She was crying. Michael was stoic. He said, you were a great James Bond. Thank you very much. And he said, thank you very much. Goodbye. And that's it. He was shocked and he was just like kicked to the curb. That's so, so weird. He was getting older and yeah. That's uh, it. 
I'm, I'm going to take a, a just a second to show the audience here. This is uh, Pierce Brosnan, 1986. Quite possibly the most handsome man alive. My God, 1986, year after I was born. This guy was like, like, just put this on the uh, as the the definition of handsome. This guy was really good looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that he didn't get to be Bond until like ten years after that. But yeah, he has a he has in his fifties by the time he's quit. That's funny. Yeah, he, he was fifty when he did that last movie. I'm then sixty seven right now. Yeah, he's still still uh, rocking it though. I mean, he's got the kind of silver fox thing going on. Yeah, in twenty yeah twenty nineteen. Yeah, he's still he's still there. So yeah, it was a good. Um, okay, it seems a lot longer than four years, but yeah, there was a four-year gap between uh, Die Another Day and Casino Royale, and this was the, the second. Actually, they brought the same director back to reboot it um, as they did with Goldeneye. This guy's been like the Bond rebooter, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, this was a definite uh, uh, shift, another really big shift for the franchise. Um, I, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I'm not crazy about. Uh, Daniel Craig as Bond, um, but I think that this was probably his most energetic Bond role. I think he was definitely had the physicality in this role, less so in his later films. But overall, yeah, I, mean, I, I like the classic. Not my favorite Bond either. No, but I like the classic. The Casino Royale is actually uh, loosely, very loosely based on one of the original uh, Ian Fleming novels, and. We kind of we kind of missed that part, but after a while, they just kind of gave up. They're just like, ah, we don't need to use the novels anymore. Let's just make up our own stories. <laughs> I think right around yep. the Dal- Dalton films. I think I think a License to Kill is one of the ones that weren't based on on any any uh, material. I don't know if you could you could correct me on that, but um, as far as I know, they stopped with the end of the with the Roger Moore films because mm-hmm. I know the Dalton movies were original original entirely. Yeah. Yeah, so they're definite, definitely different. But Casino Royale seemed like a good, uh, a much needed, like, let's scale it back. Let's have some yeah. casino stuff. Let's have Bond punch some folks. Let's have a threatening villain. Like, it was just getting over the top against this. You need to kind of pull it back some. And I think Casino Royale is what we needed for that. Um, yeah. It's a good reboot for the same reason that I was praising Goldeneye. Yeah. It was a good reboot. I think Casino Royale was also a solid reboot. It just did some things I didn't like because it kind of did toy with the continuity. I think that Goldeneye was a great reboot because it played into the continuity and then it continued the story as it it wasn't really missing a beat. With Casino Royale, they purposely went out of the way and tried to frame it. Oh, it was Bond's first mission. Okay, as if his, if it's his first mission, then why do you still have Judy Dench playing M? Right? Yeah. From a continuity perspective, it was just all over the place. And that's really brought it down for me a number of times. Yeah, it, it, the continuity was pretty much borked by that point. Um, but apparently, they loved Judy Dench, so they kept her. I never really stood her that much. She's kind of always played oh, a very bitter. I love Judy Dench. Dench. She's great. <laughs> okay, she she fulfills her purpose. I actually, uh, uh, one of the later um, Craig movies actually completely redeemed her in my my eyes, and she actually became like a human character that I actually cared about. Um, mm. So. I'll say I'll say that at the beginning, not so much in my book. Oh, but, uh, um, before I forget, before I forget, uh, I just want to mention. And speaking of continuity, one nod that I loved in continuity, and when I was talking about the trilogy with the uh, with the Bro- um, Brosnan, with the Dalton movies, and with Honor's Majesty's Secret Service, there's mm-hmm. a line in License to Kill where Bond is at the wedding, 
and he's just kind of talking with Felix Leiter and his bride, and he leaves, and she asks, like, oh, what's wrong with him? And Felix Leiter responds with, oh, he was married once, but it was a really long time ago. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah, there's a little bit of continuity there. Exactly. So there's that level of continuity. So for all of the movies up until this point, we have that Bond is the same person, you know, yeah. it's a saga. This breaks all that. This utterly shatters it. Yeah, and I remember being disappointed because the trailer for this was fantastic. I don't remember if you remember the trailer for Casino Royale. It I, it I seemed don't. like a really, really gritty, like it showed that that kind of black and white scene where he's like beating the guy against the toilets and stuff like that in, oh, the, in the bathrooms yeah. and stuff. And it was like, showed him in like in the dark and he's like, you know, holding a gun to him in the shadows. Like, this is like almost straight up noir Bond. This looks really classic, really like really awesome unfortunately that was the teaser that only really lasted for a good couple of minutes and and then it became more traditional bond stuff but yeah. um i was really like that style at the beginning that style really kind of teased at something i would like like a, a retro a retro bond you know bond set in the 60s or something like that that has like sort of a classic grain or black and white or something like that personally i think they'd be really cool but they didn't really stick with that style they just kind of went to more yeah. traditional uh, i will say um eva green's a really good uh, very multifaceted. Uh, she, I wouldn't even call her a Bond girl. Like she's technically a Bond girl, but she's like a a really big player in in all the events of the film. Um, yeah. and, and uh, Lashif is also excellent in this film. And uh, the guy they, I forget his name, but the guy that they casted is uh, uh, L- 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 God, you said it before. He's the guy who like oh, is, um, is FBI uh, contact. Largo. Largo. But he's like the Mark. FBI contact, the guy who like helps. Oh, him oh um, Felix Leiter. Leiter, sorry, Felix uh, Leiter. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I thought you were talking about Largo, <laughs> Emilio Largo. And he—that's uh, the same guy who eventually wasn't Felix Leiter, the guy that actor eventually going to Westworld. If I'm, if I'm, uh, unless I'm going crazy, that's the same actor. He, yeah, that's he, the guy. The guy who played Leiter in Casino Royale. You mean? Yeah, yeah, in Casino Royale. Uh, yeah, that that actor would later go on to play a good character, and uh, at least early on, and um the Westworld reboot. Yeah. Good. Really good. Uh, I don't remember the, the theme song at all. Chris Cornell, but uh good, a solid reboot is what the, what the series needed to get back on its feet. I think. Yeah, it was a good step away, especially considering the flop that was die another day. And to a larger extent, the world is not enough. A lot of people like that movie. I defend it <laughs> vigorously. Yeah. Um, but Casino Royale was definitely enough to kind of re like push the, bond and bring it to like the 2000s solid movie overall you know did not dislike it didn't care for a lot of the continuity mix-ups what have you but uh you know i'd put it on money penny i'd put it on money penny yeah you know what maybe 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 even go to shaken not stirred i would i would put it up to shaken because that last act was like oof that was a uh yeah. gut punch like visceral last act like it took a fairly fairly mundane like you know like poker games and you know yeah. stock manipulation things like that and then at the end you're like yeah. oh my god like bam 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 so yeah, i think i think the ending really elevated it up to a higher yeah. Yeah. yeah i can i can agree with that it's like i think the thing that holds it back for me mostly is just the way they handled the reboot which is why it's just kind of like less thrilling yeah. i guess or less of a film but i think mads mickelson does a great job eva green is phenomenal in it and honestly the theme song is okay i wish that they did something more casino-y related 
uh chris cornell love chris cornell love love his stuff oh yeah but Rip he did a song cornell. called you know my name which i get why you're doing it if it's a bond reboot but the fact that it's a reboot it's a why are you why <laughs> just <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a bit I, i've always been a little bit iffy on me i think that the best bond songs are sung by females i don't know for some reason it really captures that kind of yeah. classic sound there's been a couple couple ones I like agree. live and let die was fun but yeah the the most iconic uh james bond intros i think were always sung by a woman i think they just it really captures that feel um yeah. i'm just going to gush a little bit about the design the the promo and marketing for this film was fantastic whoever realized that they could line up casino royale and do 007 with the gun right there you're you're awesome you deserve a oh. raise that's not new. They did that with the poster of the very first Roger Moore film. Did they? With Roger, yeah, Roger, and then Moore. They did the exact same thing. Oh, with Roger okay. Moore. Well, I'll skip that. But it, they did really good here. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I like it. Don't get me wrong. Don't mean to rain on your parade. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that with the Moore stuff. Fun fact: uh, Daniel Craig. He is the first actor to play James Bond, who's actually younger than the series itself. He was born in 1968, which is six years after Doctor No. Oh man, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, he was also homeless at one point. He actually went homeless while he was trying, struggling and eventually became a world-famous actor. So there you go. There's always an opportunity to go up in the world. Good on him. Good on him. Cool. And so now we're getting toward the more recent ones. Uh, I think we'll both be in agreement that Quantum, Quantum. of Solace was just such a waste. Awful. <laughs> such a waste. Awful. Okay, so I know that the I know that the movie has something to do with a water supply. Or water, or something like that. Set in the it desert. Was hard to follow. <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is what really threw me off of the film, right? Uh, even in this in this list, we're using to like refresh our memory on the details of the the Bond films. Yeah. They have like you know director, uh, villain, henchman, Bond girl, you know Bond actor, you know yeah. all this all these details like cars, gadgets, and stuff like that, right? This yeah. this movie tripped me up so hard about. 30 minutes or 40 minutes into the film, they introduce uh, the the villain. Um, I don't even remember his name, but... Uh, they Dominic introduce- Green. I just looked it up. Yeah, Dominic Green. They introduce him. I'm like, oh, interesting. I wonder who he's working for. And then about 45 minutes in, I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, let's find out who he's working for. But an hour in, I'm like, yeah, okay, wow. This is a this is really building up. They're really... They're, it's going to be an awesome reveal when they find out who the villain is. And then when they leave him out to die in the desert and give him like oil to, to live on and he ends up like dying, I guess, from drinking oil out of desperation or whatever. I'm like, he was the villain. <laughs> That's literally my reaction. I had no idea that he wasn't the henchman. He had, yeah. he had zero villain presence. I'm sorry, Dominic Green. You're a great, great. Uh, you did your role fine, I guess. You just he did not seem like a villain to me at it all. Was just, yeah, it was just such a dumb movie. And also, I, I also take umbrage with the fucking uh, title. What does Quantum of Solace mean? Yeah, that, that title was like, okay, that, that's like, a, yeah, and, uh, like, next. What, what is the quantum? Yeah, like, I know quantum mechanics. Barely. Like, I kind of know what it means. But a quantum. By far, okay, the, so, by far the deepest and most pretentious so, title of the whole series. Okay, so, by literal definition. In a quantum is in physics the minimum amount of any physical entity involved in an interaction. It is the minimum amount of any physical entity involved in an interaction. So the minimum amount of effort something is involved in when it interacts with something else. 
and solace is comfort or consolation in time of distress yeah. or sadness. So the minimum amount of comfort and and S- consolation in a time of distress or so like he's small happy. <laughs> he's small happy. I guess because uh, I guess it all like comes off because uh, Eva Green's character is killed, right? Yeah, I and guess he revenge for her or something. And but he's takes some solace in the effort that he i guess he takes solace in the effort that he undergoes to get revenge for her i guess but as uh, much as, as much as they reference uh eva green's character <laughs> <laughs> as much as they reference eva green's character i believe they do in the beginning it doesn't really hit play out much i think i think he's like on a, on like a like finding out who who she was working with and who she made a deal with and Sort of leads to the lame villain, but yeah, no. The, it, overall, it was a very disappointing film, especially after what I what I consider a pretty strong start with with uh, with uh, Casino Royale. This was definitely a big a big step down from Casino Royale. Yeah, like a massive step down to the point where I just think this movie's terrible. There's very little or anything redeeming of it. This is a double O nothing, as far as I I'm concerned. Yeah, it's just really bland. Uh, like I said, I was completely taken aback by the henchman who I thought it was a henchman, but was actually the full on villain and there was nobody he was working for. I was just like, eh, yeah, definitely one of my leader, least favorite movies. Like yeah. from a production standpoint, I remember there was a couple like long take action scenes where he's like falling through the roof or like um, driving motorcycles over like roofs and stuff like that. Some really good stunts, but overall it, it, in support of a really a very poor film. Yeah, yeah. yeah easily <laughs> all right so now we're getting to the last two and man this runs this runs oh, wait, the spectrum be- yep. yeah before we do that remember the quantum of solace uh video game that terrible cover shooter like that X- they released? xbox xbox 360 or something like that oh yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> i never played it i i heard about it they keep on like pushing this like this will be a real uh video game based on a franchise and and james bond is is the problem with the james bond games is they're like they could make a good game. Remember Goldeneye? You know, you always like remember Goldeneye. They could make another good one, but uh, remember them... the remember the PlayStation or the what is the seventh generation or sixth generation trilogy that were not based on the films between like Nightfire uh, and stuff. Yeah, those Nightfire, were Nightfire, Agent Under Fire, and uh, the other one. Yeah, those, I can't remember right now. Yeah, those were actually solid games, and uh, yeah, it seemed like the the further you move. Those are actually the best licensed games when you take uh, a movie character and make an original plot, like yeah. uh, Terminator, mm-hmm. Resistance, um, Mad Max 2015, uh, freaking Escape from Butcher Bay, uh, Chronicles yeah. of Riddick. Like those are all like based on a movie character, but but completely divorced from that timeline. You just make your own thing. Don't bother releasing it near the movie. Just take your time. Make a good film. That's a good movie that's connected to the to the characters of the film, but as a new story new everything don't try to don't try to be a movie release date tie-in because that'll just end end in disaster yeah uh so so skyfall skyfall is a tough one um it it probably is the most meta james bond film i've ever seen like or that, that exists like it has a lot of commentary about bond as a character he's aging uh, he's not who he used to be. Um, almost somewhat, somewhat of a like a commentary on on Daniel Craig as well, because Craig's now in his third film. The last one didn't do so well. Not quite what he used to be. You know, he's he's flawed. A couple of scenes early on uh, where he's like training and like you know like 
you know, yeah, we'll do those questions later. And then after somebody leaves, he's like, <gasps> like, he's like completely out of breath. Like he's trying to, he's trying to hold on to the, to the physicality he once had. Like that was a really impactful scenes for me. And, um, Sam Mendes is a visionary director. Like his, his, his cinematography is always really immaculate. Like it's a very beautiful film. Like the shots are like the reflective, like there was one scene where it's like a bunch of glass with like, uh, uh lcd screens reflecting all off of them there's like a, a fight scene like he can make a really beautiful shot like every single shot in this yeah. movie is just really really beautiful and mm-hmm. it's actually the one movie that made me care about him a uh, new m uh judy dench <laughs> like i actually cared about her as a person um you got to see a little more like personality uh daniel craig felt more like a human being you know we saw a little bit of that in casino rail with with his relationship with with uh eva but like you get a, a lot more of like a, a morally gray world, you know, terrorist bombings. And like, it, it was, a, it was a character study of James Bond as, as a person, which I thought was really interesting. So I think that, uh, it, it may not have been the most epic of adventures, but it was a really meta and much needed exploration of James Bond as a character. So I agree with you. I actually really, really, really liked Skyfall because of all those reasons. Yeah. It now I already loved M more than you did. So the way that they wove her story in and walked her retirement out of it with again the rogue and my six agent masterfully yeah. played by Bardium, who is incredible. Bardium's great. Yeah. And and I also liked that they took money penny away from the secretary role and made her a field agent. Right? She was no yeah. longer M secretary, now she's a field agent. They actually gave her something to do um other than just being somebody to banter with Bond every so often, which you know, I like that role but definitely evolved the character. The pl- yeah. and the reason that I feel Skyfall is as meta as it is is now problem with James Bond and this is going to be exacerbated a little bit in um, Spectre. Yeah, I got, because I got we're some run- strong feelings for Spectre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because now we're running into a new problem in that where do you take the character from here on in? And I had this conversation with a friend of mine a little while ago. I At some point, they need to retire the James Bond character because you've already been there and done that with everything that he's had. GoldenEye was brilliant because it took this Cold War character and moved it away from the Cold War into a new era. And they tried to do that with Casino Royale. And Casino Royale, strong movie. But in order to rebrand, reboot that character, they had to make this gritty film. What do you do? What do you do with him from here on out? Uh, they bring Spectre back in the next movie. But at what, at what point? You know, like, where do you go with this character? And I think those early tinges, you're seeing that in Skyfall, which is yeah. why they have meta commentary of this broken character and his childhood past, blah, blah, blah on this. And it's just, it's start, like the entire veneer is starting to like crack at the seams. Yeah. Skyfall was such a high point that I don't think it'll, it will ever see anything as good as that. Like it's a, it, it perfectly like, I remember when we were talking about uh, GoldenEye, where M was criticizing James Bond as being like a Cold War dinosaur, sexist, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this is like a, a another kind of retaliatory thing against James Bond. He is older. He he His methods are too brutish. He, you know, he, 
his way of do, getting things done is old school. It's too violent. You know, we have new methods, new technologies, things like that, right? But when the whole new system comes crashing down, you need James Bond. You need the dinosaur. You need the guy with the gun to get things yeah. done. And I think that's that's uh, as much criticism as the character gets at the beginning, and also in in previous films like uh, Goldeneye. This also show redeems him because we need we need that beast. We need that that mm-hmm. guy who's willing to you know punch and shoot his way uh, to victory because when everything else comes crashing down, you know, when all the, all the modern systems get completely undermined by hackers and whatnot, uh, it was, he's the one weapon that is reliable. He's the old, he's your hammer. You know, when your power drill and, and your, you know, everything else breaks, you need the hammer. The hammer is the reliable thing that will get the job done basically. So I really like that redemption of his character and yeah, the, the exploration of it, uh, of his relationship with, with, um, M and like a, it little peeks into his history because never we never got his childhood or anything like that in the other right. films um the the new the new m he's fine he, he's a, he's a little bit you know a, a little bit yeah I, 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 yeah yeah i think i think i think he's an excellent m oh no oh, sorry sorry i actually love ray fines as m sorry i meant uh q the new q oh yeah the new q q is okay he's just he's, he's fine quirky. He's yeah, little, he's a little Weasley, whatever. But uh, yeah, I was gonna actually comment. Okay. It's it's a different dynamic, though. Yeah, like my favorite moment. I was gonna actually comment about this when you're talking about Q and and R. Like I I love John Cleese to death, but yeah, John Cleese was way more comedic when you you were spot on the money. Q was the straight man. Yeah, Q would be like, and this James Bond is a so and so. He's like, oh, and he like lasers something. It's like, would you put that down? You know, all sorts of stuff. Would you put right? that away? We're yeah. still working on it. And please be careful with the car. It's just got a new coat of paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that that dynamic. Like my favorite Q moment uh, uh, of all time was like after he shows. I think it was Pierce Brosnan. I think he's like shows him a bunch of different gadgets and gizmos and weapons and stuff like that. And he's like, and Brosnan's like, so what's this then? And it's like, put that down. That's my lunch. lunch. You know? yeah. <laughs> it was just a great dynamic, and I didn't really get that. Uh, it was all right. The reimagining of Q is kind of like a brainiac, like nerdy kind of guy. But uh, I, I actually love Ray Fiennes as M, at least in this. You know, as a hint of what could come in this one. Uh, and it's also it's it's weirdly like uh, uh, almost a return back to like the Connery Moore days because you're back to a male M. You know, it's almost gone full circle now. It's really interesting how how uh, it, it's like a full circle. It's, it's, it, 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 if the series ended on Skyfall, I would actually be okay with it. Like it's it's that much of a closure of of the whole yeah. James Bond arc. So yeah, and yeah, and I think that if that was the final James Bond movie that we ever got, that would be an excellent punctuation to the series. Yeah. So I I think because it has so much character explanation it made me care about um judy dench which is incredible um it has a really good arc it, it gets a little bit into like you know james bond home loan toward the end but <laughs> at, at least it gets creative it, they have to go old school they go away from technology when technology fails them you know it makes sense yeah. so i would put it in golden tier what about you i wouldn't put it quite in golden tier i would put it in shaken personally um i think it's a solid movie but i do not think that it's quite the spectacle like it's a solid ending if we're gonna be looking at it as an ending but it's just some of that some of what it does it's just 
it feels like it's a continuation of the same kind of the same kind of like bond that you're getting with the Craig yeah. movies. It just feels like it's not quite that same level of tightly written, um, very, very co- closely crafted films that you had with the previous eras. And as much as we were praising Skyfall and as much as I like it, there's something about it that's just missing for me to like think of it as like an all time classic. Interesting. Right? Yeah. I think I think some of the things it did was like for shock not shock value. I think that's the wrong phrase, but definitely some of the plot elements were there to shock, right? I think. Yeah, it was it was trying to be very uh like deconstructive and and really pick apart yeah. these characters. Interesting enough, I realized that the gap between Quantum and Skyfall is the same gap between Die Another Day and Kissing a Rail. Four years. Isn't wow. that kind of wild? Yeah. <laughs> so they actually probably that's probably why it ended up being so good is they actually kind of took their time to really think of how to how to fix this how to fix this franchise. So I personally would do Golden, you're shaken. Uh do you want to flip a coin on it? I mean, if you want to put it on Golden, like I said, it's your list. You put it on Golden. Go ahead. I mean I I, I like to be uh all right, Heather Tails. I'll take Tails. All right. Uh flip again. Flip. Tails. Okay. So let's right, put so this on shaken. put this on uh shaken then. Okay. And Spectre, double nothing. No. She's <laughs> joking. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't finished this movie. You not finished it? I actually did not finish it. I've seen like segments of it. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't actually seen it from start to finish. It's uh, I it, do know enough. I do know enough of the plot where first of all, I'm gonna say this. I love Christoph Waltz. I think Christoph he's a great Waltz actor. Is a yeah, great actor. But and I think like on paper he makes an excellent Blowfield. Blowfield. But when you have the plot come in and say, "Hey, those last three movies, that was us the whole time." It just Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Did you watch the Lethal Weapon movies back in the day? Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah, I love Remember those movies. Lethal Weapon 2 is like Remember your wife? She died in a crash. That was us. Yeah. We crashed into her car to kill yeah, your wife because yeah. you're getting too close yeah. to our plots. And it's like, come yeah. on, really? <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. That's the one blemish on an otherwise excellent movie. It's just like, oh, yeah, we're the ones yeah. who killed your wife. Yeah, it's like, remember that random accident that had nothing to do with anything five years, ten years ago? That was us. You know, it's just like, yeah. it, it's an easy way to, to write, easy way to like connect, make something seem more important than it really was. Like, I don't think that. They had any semblance of an idea that they were in, that this was all, you know, Spectre behind the scenes with Quantum and and uh, especially with yeah, it, it seemed pretty pretty ham fisted. But yeah. I, I do I do like Christoph Waltz. Well, uh, part of the reason why this movie is such a mess is that famously after the success, like the extreme success from Skyfall, people were like, "The Skyfall's great," you know, getting like nominations, things like that. They're like, "Let's mm-hmm. make another James Bond movie." And so they were so excited that they started building sets and starting, I think they started filming it before they had a script. I, I remember reading this, like they started heavy production before they even had a script done. So they yeah. like were picking out locations and set pieces and actors and stuff. And they didn't have a freaking story done. So uh, right. Spectre is like such a all over the place. It starts out like Mexican Day of the Dead. It goes into like, you know, a, a, you know, Swedish resort or whatever it was, a French resort. And then like, 
all over the place. Like they were just like set pieces, set pieces. Felt like a video game plot, you know. Yeah. So. And then even then, like this movie is like a massive regression. Remember how I was just saying, like, hey, it's really great that they had Money Penny actually be a field agent, take her away <laughs> from the secretary role. They put her back as a secretary. Oh no. <laughs> she had one movie where she came she left the field and became M's assistant. So we're like, we're back to square one. Yeah. And again, I, I like the role, but like you're doing something new. This was actually interesting that you're doing with the character. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I always like the um there were some stronger and there were some weaker portrayals of Money Penny, but I always liked the kind of Money Penny was an interesting character because she would always like there would be like the two way flirting between uh Bond and Money Penny. Yeah. But at the end she knows that he's just a horn dog and so she shouldn't yeah. get with him anyway. So there's always an interesting kind of fun dynamic between the two. But mm-hmm. I actually think the way that they brought uh, Money Penny into the field and it actually triggers uh the biggest events of um skyfall when she actually like take the shot kind of thing like yeah. she and yeah. that that creates a whole other other dynamic where he goes off the grid and he's like rethinking his life and his loyalties and stuff like that so that was a really interesting aspect but yeah to kind of go bring her back to secretary after that it's like eh, kind of weak yep and also i will say this um i like the character of mr hicks it's impossible for me to look at him and not think like David Dave Batista has no reason. <laughs> he has he looks so out of place in this movie. Some of the fight scenes were really brutal, like a lot of like heavy, like weighty fighting, which I always appreciate yeah. when movies do that. Yeah. Like you get a lot of that in like, you know, the John Wick movies and and uh, you know, got a lot of that in like Mad Max 20, 20, uh, 15 and stuff like that. But uh the the plot was so so disconnected that I had no idea what was going on most of the time. It was just yeah. It was like this is the snow level. This is the yeah. you know this is the <laughs> the day of the dead Mexico level. And uh, yeah, I, it, I to this day I have no idea what that poster is about. Like you so, see the skeleton on the poster. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just yeah, day of the dead, right? But it's just it's all over the place. Um, just this comment about uh, Dave Batista in there again as Mister Hicks, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, this is a Reddit comment, uh, a, a series of Reddit comments. Top guys like he's like thumbs instead of jaws. <laughs> he's like thumbs. <laughs> he's like thumbs instead of jaws because he like sticks his thumbs into the guy's eyes. Right? It was a yeah. huge missed opportunity not naming him thumbs or some stupid pun. Pun thumb job. There you go. Thumb job. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I I enjoyed the action. He was a, a very physical performance. Yeah. It was like you could it was intimidating and, and Batista is a big dude, so yes, it yeah. was a it was a very kind of brutal it actually reminded me of like some of the uh some of the better fights in the Bourne series as well. They had some really kind of like very little very little music, just like really brutal like struggle fights, you know. And yeah. the Bourne series, those are the highlights of those movies. It got pretty yeah. redundant toward the end, but I like that. But yeah, the it, the it there presence just, was excellent. Oh, which, which one was that? Sorry, what'd you say? No, the physical presence, the physical presence for those fights, yeah, awesome. Yeah. It was great. It's just, it's hard for me to like look at it and think like, what's Batista doing here? It just, he, he just looks a little out of place. That's all. Yeah, and I wasn't really like, you know, obviously she looks the part, but I wasn't really feeling the uh, ro- romantic interest. Like, I think they fall in love too quickly, and it's like, eh. And then, yeah, but uh, they kind of did like a sort of you can either go like one or two ways with a, a villain reveal. Either you go really, really dramatic and like, Oh my God, this is the villain. Or you do it kind of like 
mellow and nonchalant, and they kind of went that way with with the blow Blofeld reveal. And yeah. Christoph Waltz could, you know, he could act his way out of prison, but he, I didn't feel that he was particularly threatening. He didn't, he no. didn't, like he almost seemed like he could potentially be an ally. It was very weird. Like it was, a, it was a strange, like not not a not a good like morally gray kind of you know it was just he didn't seem like a very bad guy you mm-hmm. know whereas you see some of the villains you're like wow this is a really twisted twisted individual who oh, I really want to see him go down like I didn't really feel that way with uh Christoph Waltz like I think the opening scene of uh Inglorious Bastards is probably one of the best scenes ever filmed in like mm-hmm. American cinema but yeah I wasn't really feeling it it, it just too disconnected obviously they rushed like they had three years to make this film, but they rushed into the production. They were starting to like yeah. do, you know, locations and sets and everything before they even had a story. Yeah. And it definitely shows. Yeah. No, I didn't see this, but I read this afterwards. Cause one thing that kind of bothered me about the, about the movie was that the look of Blofeld was wrong. Cause it, you know, it's just, he lacks the eye scar. He still has his hair. He looks like Christoph Waltz basically. Apparently yeah. they do weave that into the ending. Like there's an explosion that gives him a facial scar and he's going to be back in no time to die. So once again, Spectre's back, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I have mixed feelings on it. Hopefully, like it'll, hopefully the next movie is going to be a little stronger with that back and forth villainry of it. But this is also going to be the last Daniel Craig movie, which means that they're going to have to reboot it again. Yeah, I don't, unless they have, from what I've seen of uh, Die Another Day or whatever it is, uh, no wait, that that was the two. No time across. to die. No, no time, time to die. die. Yeah, no time to die. I don't have high hopes for it. It looks very, looks like it's very troubled. Um, I don't like really what they're doing with the characters, and it seems, it, like it hates the character. You know what I mean? Like it actually hates the character of James Bond, which I'm fine with. Like a, a story that like criticizes a character and like and you know. Uh, shows their flaws brings out their their failures and then they have a redemption arc that i don't see that i think this is just like a a way to capitalize on the james bond name without w- w- written by people who don't like james bond as a character <laughs> this just seems very very cynical i don't know I, I don't get good vibes from that movie i hope i'm wrong but um i just yeah. also want to point out that when this was released people thought it was a joke they thought this poster was a joke the uh yeah. the the, the hey, holding mask <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Baron Smith, Smith he's a, you know lost a few pounds since then but you know <laughs> looking a little bony yeah but I I mean I'm hoping that that's not the case because like the the co-write the so so it's being written by Purvis and Robert Wade they're the screenwriters who wrote seven Bond films from the world is not enough up until this. So they wrote the entire Daniel Craig uh, era and the end of the Brosnan era. So there is that level of familiarity with Bond. Um, I know that the director, he's the one who did the first season of True Detective, which was awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, what's his name? Um, I know the guy you're talking about that is a Japanese hey, Joji name. Fu- uh, Fukunaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Yeah, Kerry yeah, Fukunaga. He's a fantastic director. I love the first season of True Detective. That's the best one. Yeah, well, that was that was so exceptional because one writer, one director, whole season mm-hmm. felt like a long movie. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love his direction. I'm really concerned about the the way it's handling the character. I know that the uh, 
yeah we'll see maybe maybe it'll be great um i'm just uh, uh yeah i don't know they brought the free yeah. the flea flea bag uh writer in as a supplemental writer to like criticize the character more and i'm like ah, that's not james bond i'm sorry I think that, if anything, this very well might be the last Bond movie. They're going to maybe very well kill off the character and then come up with spinoff movies, which I think is fine. Do a spinoff yeah. series. I have no problem with that. Just don't reboot the character. You know, yeah. remember, remember when the poster came out and there's a lot of shit because they're like, oh, no, James Bond is going to be played by a black woman. It's like, yeah. well, there's no reason to recast James Bond as a black woman. Just make a new character. And I think that's, that, that's perfectly acceptable. Because now that's going to open up so many doors for you to continue telling these kinds of stories, but without the attachment of this old character and without the baggage of that old character. Yeah, you know? I'm fine with them expanding the universe and creating yeah. another double O character or whatever you want to do with that. Um, there's just no way you can convert uh, a 1960s uh, hyper-masculine uh, lady, ladies' man, like, oh, British, Cold British spy. Spy, Cold War spy with anything but <laughs> what they've been doing like they've already stretched it to the limit there's no way you can do that i'm sorry it's just not going to work so it, you're yeah. just doing it you're, you're just you're just repurposing a brand for a different product at that point you know yeah, exactly like so. so kill off bond you know have lashana lynch have her character be the star of another series of films have her be a double o agent just have her be her own you know her her own character and yeah. that's fine right they very well might do this, and this might be the end of that franchise, and they might reboot it. Who knows? We'll see. But I am curious to see where they're going to take the story, especially because we know this is Craig's last movie, and with yeah. Spectre uh, leaving it open, it looks like they're just going to kind of pick it up again from the 60s, but I just don't know how they're going to do that, because now we're seeing a James Bond where, you know, what stories are you going to tell? Like, what what's there left to explore? Yeah, I was actually shocked that Daniel Craig did another Bond movie after um, Skyfall. He must have been offered a ton of money because I believe after Skyfall, he said his famous quote where he'd rather gouge his eyes out than play Bond again or something like that. I remember yeah. I remember that uh, he said something like that. And yeah, he must be getting a ton of money, man. That must be uh, must be his reasoning. But yeah, uh, 2015, when was when was uh, Spectre? Uh, Spectre was 2015. Or, yeah, 2015. So in 2015, yeah. Daniel Craig, I'd rather, I'd rather slash my wrist than play James Bond again. <laughs> yeah. So. And No Time to Die. So I just looked it up. No Time to Die is almost three hours long. It's 163 minutes. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. Like, Jesus. Uh, yeah. It's also got delayed by COVID. It was supposed to come out, I think, last year. So, yeah, who knows? It might be okay. I have a feeling it's going to be disappointing, though. Nah, we'll see. Um, Spectre, uh, a lot of, it's like, up to you. I never finished it. So this is yeah, on you, buddy. It was just, it was such a mixed bag. Like the plot needed to be redrafted completely and, and some sort of through line needed to be figured out for that. It's also directed by Sam Mendes and he did some good visuals, but even though there's some good visual scenes in Spectre, it still didn't reach the, the heights of Skyfall. So I don't think it's necessarily... It's it's a tough one because if this was shot back in the '60s, I would say like Doctor Nope material, but because mm -hmm. it's the newest one and and looks and feels okay because it's new, it's probably coloring my perspective more. But from a storytelling point, it's one of the one of the most broken of the of mm -hmm. the Bond films, I think. So, 
it wasn't wasn't a, a slog to get through. It was like enjoyable at times. Mm. So I'm almost thinking just middle of the road. It's it wasn't okay. wasn't it was very very poorly told, but it wasn't it wasn't a pain to get through, which some of these are. Mm-hmm. You know, as you get lower, like yeah. I didn't enjoy watching Live and Let Die. That was just rough to get through, but Skyfall was like, eh, it's it's a movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched it, so I don't have an opinion. It's worth watching. Like I like I said, like some of the action scenes were good and and you know, Christopher Waltz is always entertaining, but it just mm-hmm. it didn't really have a it didn't really have that kind of payoff that skyfall had like i think skyfall had a really good payoff toward the end like you just had a really good character moments mm-hmm. and growth and yeah. change and stuff like that it's kind of like what i said like the ones that like a lot of these movies seem like episodes where it's just like oh, adventure done and then he's back back to square zero like nothing's changed at the end Where like mm-hmm. at the end of skyfall he's not the same man as he is in the beginning so yeah for sure well, um, yeah, it's getting kind of late, but uh, thanks so much, man, for coming on to this. Uh, I think we'll do this again sometime. This is kind of a weird topic for, we usually cover video games, but uh, yeah, if we come up with any other, I'm just running out of ideas. <laughs> we have other likes other than video games. We're in these. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me on. I had, a, I had a, you know, chatting with you for several hours as we debated on the James Bond uh, series. Yeah, we'll have to find some good uh, other good topics and stuff like that. Like, there's a uh, plenty of things to cover, not just ranking, but you know, discussions and. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to do a podcast or a stream with you where we're not using Tier Maker. Just throwing that out there. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it's been two for two, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, we'll have to we'll have to do like a commentary or or just one on one chat sometime. But yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, sure. Tier Maker has a what's nice about Tier Maker is there's a structure to it, so we can. It's kind of like a little meta game. But yeah, not the yeah. most visually stimulating. I could say that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, man. Well, uh, is, uh, you know, do you want to plug yourself? Do you want to say anything that what you're, what you're up to now? Or yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Shalashaska. I also make YouTube videos. Uh, you can actually see the spelling of my name done in its entire uh, in it completely correct on your screen. So if you're into retro uh, game reviews, if you're into the occasional editorial come check out my channel um i'm currently working on a review that i'm not gonna speak too much about on but it's an older game from a console from my childhood that's right a console game um that i've actually never played before and i'm interested in delving into it so i'm hoping to get a new video out soon in the midst of working on a much larger project so cool um yeah no looking forward to that um, otherwise probably, I don't know if we'll do a podcast next week. I can't really plan out that far, but it might do live stream or whatever. We'll see if we have a sure. great idea that comes up. Uh, I would be happy to do one, another one next week if you have the time. So, um, yeah. we'll play it by year and otherwise I'll see you next week. And thanks so much for watching. Take care guys. Take care everyone.